place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where the no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics now comic book fans welcome to the sunspots comics podcast issue number 214 where i'll do some strong recommending but only lightly reviewing of our favorites of the brand new comic books that just came out the last nine wednesday new comic book days from september 25th to november 20th yeah nine new comic book days and this particular podcast believes that whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger (laughs) yeah I am your friendly neighborhood host, Chris Latore. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride that is here at the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Thank you. I know there's tons of podcasts and you found us, so I appreciate all of your time. And so here at the Sunspots Comics Podcast, by the way, we read a whole bunch, I mean a gobbledygoo, of brand new comics, and then only recommend to you the greatest of them. That's right, the best of the best, so you can save some time and save a whole bunch of money. That's what it's really all about. And please do us the tiniest of Ant-Man-sized favors and hit that subscribe button to the Sunspots Comics Podcast. And then please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Xbox Live, and YouTube, all at one place with one name, at Sunspots Comics. That's where we are, yes. And I always love to start the show, of course, every single show, with some humble thank yous. Most importantly, thank you to you, the listener. Thank you so much for choosing us, for listening to us, for finding us. That is the Sunspots Comics Podcast. And the sea and the never-ending ocean of the bazillions of podcasts that there are, you you went out of your way and found the Sunspots Comics Podcast. So seriously, thank you from the bottom of my heart here. And thank you to my friend Nick Papa George. He sings our Sunspots Comics theme song. Please check out his stuff. He's got a solo singing thing. He's got a band named um, named Solution. (laughs) They're all on Instagram. Him personally at Nicholas.Dell and his band Solution underscore band. Check them out on Instagram. If you love Hawaiian style reggae music, but then like some hard rock thrown in there at the same time, you're going to absolutely love all the sounds of my buddy Nick Papa George. So please check out his stuff. Check out his band Solution. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate it. I love our theme song. And thank you to a podcast listener. I want to just personally thank and give a huge shout out and thank you to RLO1138. Thank you for your five stars and your just absolutely lovely positive words on iTunes. I'm just so glad that you found us here at the Sunspots Comics Podcast and that you decided to give podcasts another try. You said in your review that you kind of gave podcasts a break for a minute, which I understand. But I I hope you uh, enjoy it, and I hope you uh, dig the Sunspots Comics Podcast and tell some loved ones. And and I hope that also that you love uh, my recommendations. Uh, You pointed out that uh, uh, you didn't know that J.J. Abrams wrote a Spider-Man comic book uh, with his son. And so, yes, I hope you you read the issues and you enjoy it. It's definitely a uh, what-if and spinoff of uh, the kind of current continuity of Spider-Man. He's just J.J. Abrams, so he's doing his thing. But... RLO1138, please send me your address to chris at sunspotscomics.com so I can mail you out the coveted Sunspots Comics Podcast comic book surprise pack. And I'll send you some comics and some other fun comic book related stuff from my personal stash. Yes, right here 
uh, from the Sunspots Comic Studios. And so thank you, RLO1138, uh, for just providing that much-needed nutrients for my, for my nerdy soul. So thank you, RLO1138. Also, thank you to our sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. Cryptid Zoo hand-makes these amazing AR t-shirts based on cryptozoology. And Cryptid Zoo t-shirts do something that really no other shirt does, uh, along with AR. Uh, you take your uh, smartphone and your HP uh, reveal app, and you point the two together at any Cryptid Zoo shirt, and you can just watch the t-shirt come to life. It will seriously blow your mind. <laughs> Go to cryptidzoo.com and use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you will get 25% off of your order. So buy the only t-shirt that comes to life right before your very eyes at cryptidzoo.com. That's C-R-Y-P-T-I-D zoo.com. So now let me make that superhero landing right into the middle of the SUNSPOTS COMICS podcast issue number 214. Starting out... With some stuff! All the stuff that's been floating up around inside of my nerdy brain. Yes, and there's a lot of stuff right here for issue number 214. I'm going to give you all the stuff that's been floating around my nerdy... All the nuggets of nerdness just beaming through the nerdy pathways of my brain right here. Here we go. Well, starting out with my Joker movie review. Of course, spoiler alert, uh, just in case, it's, it's been some time. I like to let a uh, little time pass before I go in and review a movie. I like to usually maybe see it a couple times, and you know with schedules and such, that can take a little bit. But uh, the movie's made 1.21 gigawatts of dollars. <laughs> it's made all the monies. And it's, uh, it's the, I guess it's hailed now as the most profitable comic book movie of all time, because it only costs like, I guess, $15 to make. And then it's made, uh, you know, one point zillion. Uh, but it's like, I guess it had a budget of somewhere between 55 and 70 million, which is crazy uh, because cinematically it looks beautiful. So, again, spoiler alert, just in case. But uh, first thing, I, I saw it in a Dolby uh, theater, a premiere theater, which is, it was so loud. This, <laughs> this movie does a great job of being extra, extra loud. You don't need to really see it. Uh, necessarily in a Dolby. Uh, IMAX larger screen sort of format is uh, my favorite, personally. Uh, but, uh, man, uh, Dolby, very loud. Extremely loud. And, of course, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, I'll just start with him. Uh, he's gonna win an Academy Award for this. You gotta give it to him. Please, just hand him one. Uh, director Todd Phillips uh, did something, I think, that's a little unique for him and his style. He, uh, he, ultimately, he made a very kind of a humorless, kind of grim, <laughs> dark, realistic comic book movie? I say the last part, yes, in quotes, <laughs> in parentheses, because it's barely a comic book movie. Just barely. <laughs> uh, I have to say the score really sets the tone, which is a dark, kind of ominous score, minimal sort of score overall and there wasn't a lot of just a uh, very strong uh, passionate orchestration if you will it was just a, a minimal eerie uh just it just added just sort of a creepy background but i, I like that score it set the tone and it really just pairs perfectly with everything that you're seeing visually on this this film cinematically uh lawrence sure the cinematographer should win an academy award for this I don't know all that much about Academy Awards, honestly, but I'm sure there's a category for cinematography, and Lawrence sure should win one. The way that he 
uh, it's just the film stock. It's the hue. It's the it's the overall sort of glow and tone of the film is amazing. Also, just the hyper detailed cityscape scenes of New York slash Gotham in the seventies. It just looked gritty and beautiful and crisp and dirty, and it was so hyper deaf yet. All of the sort of the set pieces paired so perfectly again with this hue, this color, this this tone, this this kind of oiliness to the look of the film. That's <laughs> the only one, best way for me to describe it. But Lawrence, sure, uh, Academy Award win for sure, hundred percent. And uh, soundtrack, I gotta say the soundtrack was pretty good. There were some interesting songs here. There were songs referencing clowns from Sinatra and Jimmy Durante and others. So uh, that that uh, spoke to me as well. I'm a big fan of the uh, the swooners of sorts, and the uh, the controversial song selection, of course, is the is the Gary Glitter song, uh, Rock and Roll Part Two, which I dug uh, back going back as far as like the Mighty Ducks films when they used to play it. You know the song. Hey, and everyone would just pound the pound whatever. Of course. They don't play it anymore. <laughs> I guess since 2015, uh, the singer Gary Glitter's been in prison. He's been in jail for multiple s- sex offenses. No, it's not funny. It just—it's it, just, just so interesting how it—if you lo- know the backstory of that song and when it's played, uh, it's just interesting. But yeah, Gary Glitter's in prison. Sex offenses involving minors. Horrible. I hope he rots in jail. But interesting that it's paired so perfectly at the moment when. My favorite moment in the movie, honestly, is when he is has the outfit, he's got all the face paint, and he's doing the dance, doing this weird, you know, undulating hip motions and so on, down the stairwell, playing the eerie, uh, gross song that everyone used to love but isn't played anymore from Gary Glitter, Rock and Roll Part 2. So, uh, yeah, interesting soundtrack, and that's honestly, my favorite part of the film is six minutes long. Yes. Um, acting performances overall amazing Uh, you gotta give uh, uh, props to Joaquin Phoenix of course he lived breathed ate uh, went to the bathroom just everything as the Joker he went uh, fully in uh, like uh, like that guy did for the Abraham Lincoln film just uh, lived the part constantly uh, and his name escaped me but anyway you could tell he poured his heart and soul and blood and tears uh, into being the Joker, and Joaquin Phoenix is one of our greatest actors of, of of all time. One of the greatest actors ever. He has mastered the craft, and he deserves an Academy Award. If not, it's simply because they snub it because it's a comic book film. They, they love doing that, the snubby Academy Awards. Anyway, uh, one thing that I noticed that just kind of, uh, in a way, was, uh, was interesting and kind of made me roll my eyes a couple times, it's kind of how everyone in the entire world in this film, everyone in this film except for one person, is just mean to Joaquin Phoenix. Just, just. There's one person that's nice to him, and it's that's the, it's the, uh, it's the the small, the little person that is in the film that he spares in this extremely tense scene, which was an interesting one and brutal. Also, they did that. Most of the goreness is off screen, but it's done with sound as to when the uh, disgusting display of violence is being is, is taking place. It's off off screen so it's the sound of it that ha- it's just grotesque but that's the only uh person that's ever nice to the joker in this uh which is the the little person also that is a nod to the comics as well it goes way back to a uh to a sidekick that the joker has for a minute uh 
that they even play with the name of the character, which I'll have to look it up again, uh, kind of an homage to the name of the little person sidekick that's in the comic years ago. So a nice little nod. And there's some other little nods, of course, to the comic, but it's barely a comic book movie. Um, the portrayal of Thomas Wayne was not my favorite way that, that he's been portrayed. It is different from how he's portrayed in sort of everything else, but uh, I wasn't a fan of it. Um, that's all I'll say there. Uh, <laughs> the movie will affect you in an emotional way. Uh, this uh, is uh, such a realistic, uh, gritty, such a... Uh, it's, it's bringing to the forefront mental illness. And I do have people in my life that uh, struggle with this. So it's, it's just too realistic for me. It's not something I, I seek out and want to see in a movie. I want to be uh, off-world. I want to be entertained. I want to be joyous and happy. All those feelings uh, don't apply to this film. <laughs> that much saying, I mean, it, it, it was a beautiful masterpiece of cinema. It was an amazing masterpiece of the, of the ability to act. And, uh, and cinematically, as far as how it looked, was amazing. I, I wouldn't see it again. I won't see it a second time in the theaters. I don't think I'm going to buy it. Uh, so that, I think you can kind of get the gist. If you listen to a lot of comic book podcasts, uh, you'll see some of the comic book purists sort of, sort of definitely, uh, uh, you know, share my sentiment here. But, um, I, you know, I, I may want to give it some time and maybe see it again, but I, I, I don't have any desire to see it again. And overall, I'd say the score I gave it was somewhere three and a half, three, you know, because of... Because of those other amazing factors, but again, like this, the the story itself was bleak, and uh, depressing, and too realistic. And I, I want the Joker that's that falls into a vat of acid, and has the funny smile on his face, and his his origin story is a mystery. This lays out every little tiny detail about his origin story, and so that the Joker is no longer a mystery. But the they've said before that there are in the DC universe of films there are three Jokers. Really? So is uh, Jared Leto's one, and uh, Joaquin's is two, and then the third one is still to be made? Or is that Heath Ledger? Like, uh, you know, who knows? Time will tell. They've, they've, it's kind of, they've, they've written themselves a uh, kind of an out in case uh, they go, well, no, that didn't count for Heath Ledger. It's three starting with Joaquin. Maybe, you know, that's maybe what they'll do. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. But, uh, yeah, C. C score. You know, three stars out of five. And uh, like I said, uh, there you go. There's the my Joker uh, review. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a downer. They just announced that they're going to be doing a sequel. I hope that it's not a downer. I hope it involves Batman. I hope that it's a little, a whole lot more uh, superhero-y. I know they're, they can't do the origin again. That's fine. That's great. So I hope that it's... Uh, it's they, they, I hope that he falls into a vat of acid and something changes within him and... You know, who knows? I, you know, I, I just kind of want a more comic book feel and based and with some joy, <clears throat> excuse me, with some joy and some fun and a little bit more comic book flavor to it. But there you go. There's my Joker review. So other things that are floating around in my nerdy brain uh, regarding movies. There's a bunch that I'm looking, there's a couple that I'm looking forward to that are coming up so soon. I can't, I cannot wait. Uh, the one that's immediately in, uh, in my brain uh, it related to the Joker is this, uh, the Batman movie. So it, it's, <laughs> I, I just am so surprised that almost every single day they've cast someone else in the new Batman film that's uh, coming out in in 2020. Uh, I'm popping up the date here in front of me, but uh, the Batman movie is starring uh, Rob Pattinson 
from the Twilight films. I'm totally on board with that. They just announced, I think a half an hour ago, that John Torturo is in it. Uh, which, uh, <laughs> um, and I, they also announced, you know, Andy Serkis, Paul Dano, Zoe Kravitz, Jeffrey Wright is going to be is going to be playing the Commissioner Gordon. Colin Farrell is rumored to play the Penguin. And this just in, they just announced that all the previous Batmans are also in this film, <laughs> including the animated Batman. So I don't know how they're going to pull that one off, but everyone's going to be in this film. All the Batmans. <laughs> uh, it's just almost every single day they're casting somebody new. Uh, it's uh, I'm super excited though. They're definitely running the hype machine uh, at all twelve cylinders here. This is the Matt Reeves uh, directed film. Which, I guess they kind of say uh, that it seems like every bad guy is going to be in it. <laughs> so, uh, Falcone is the one that was just recently. Uh, yeah, that's John Torturo that was uh, cast as the as, as as Falcone, the the uh, the mob boss. But it seems like uh, Catwoman, maybe the Joker, Mad Hatter, Penguin, Poison. There's just so everyone's going to be in this. Like I said, Andy Serkis is in it, so. He's gonna probably going to put on like a motion capture suit and play everyone else. <laughs> He's playing Alfred, but uh, man, it's just it, there's so many castings. It's just it's just insane. So uh, we can look forward to seeing that, I guess, June 25th, 2021. I'm sorry. I thought it was it was 2020, but so there's still plenty of time. But uh, yes, some great casting. Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Some of the imagery that's been out there looks fantastic. Jeffrey Wright. Uh, an accomplished actor, been in so many things. Commissioner Gordon, that's just phenomenal. Paul Dano, interesting pick for the Riddler. Uh, look him up. And, and you know, Andy Serkis as, as Alfred. So, And if you've seen Andy Serkis lately, he's bulked up. Like, go look at him in Black Panther. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing an Alfred Prenny, an, an Alfred that's going to like that's gonna kick some ass, I think. And John Torturo, I can't help but think of him in the Transformer films and how goofy he is there, being the kind of... Uh, conspiracy theorist uh leader this underground cult sort of thing that for some reason that always just jumps in my head but he's been in other stuff like wes anderson films so john torturo uh he has some gravitas as far as his acting ability so yeah everyone's in it uh i think they're bringing heath ledger back it's he's gonna be in this too <laughs> so the batman 2021 <laughs> robert pattinson and everyone the entire earth is in this film uh, the other thing I'm seriously looking forward to with the movie that is around the corner, uh, Star Wars, uh, Rise of Skywalker. I, I bought our tickets. It's the fan event that gives you a special uh, exclusive pin. Yes, I can't wait. And I guess some, some soda pop and some popcorn. I bought my tickets for Thursday, December 19th at 5 o'clock. I cannot wait. My wife and I are going. And uh, another one that they're just revving up the hype machine. They've even recently said that the Mandalorian is somehow tied in. Something that happened in the, in the Mandalorian within the first three episodes is tied into episode nine. Yes. So they're running the hype machine. <laughs> also all 12 cylinders. They're throwing coal into the, into the fire of this, of this Star Wars monster that is. Uh, and, and so, rightly so. I, I, they they want to call it uh, the end uh, for a while. They're going to leave it alone. They're going to they're gonna put a pin in it and they're going to come back and pull the pin out. And play around with some stuff, but we got, you know, we got the Mandalorian going, so uh, I cannot wait. Star Wars, uh, Rise of Skywalker, December 19th, we're less than a month away. It's like, a, like I just can't believe it. So I'm really, really looking forward. Got my seats, middle center, I'm so I'm so excited. A 5 o'clock show on Thursday, oh, I cannot wait. I'm sure uh, I will uh, talk more about it later. But uh, another one that's coming up too that I bought tickets for is Frozen 2. It's out now. 
Um, <laughs> the cast is all back, including uh, Adele Dazim. <laughs> She's back in it. Thank you, John Travolta. <laughs> um, yeah, but everyone, uh, the entire cast is back. There's some new characters in it. And uh, they took a long time to do another Frozen movie, which I think is smart. Uh, Disney is, uh, their sequels, you know, haven't, uh, they've struggled. You know, Cars 2, for example. Yes, there was a Cars 2. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, 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 the, it's, it's been a while, and I think uh, rightly so. I think they took their time. They, some of the sort of documentary-ish kind of things and interviews and so on that I've heard and uh, the D23 podcast, for example, uh, some of the stuff I've been hearing, is they really wanted a story uh, that, that resonated with these characters and that made sense and that didn't seem so far-fetched or a story that just it kind of answers all the questions that you have in Frozen 2, like how did... Uh, you know, Elsa get her powers. Why doesn't Anna have powers? You know, things of that nature. What happened to their parents? Where were they going? Where, where were Anna and Elsa's parents going? You know, things of that nature. Um, so there's lots of new characters. And man, we haven't seen uh, the Frozen in theater since 2013. So six years. I think they want to do this one right. So I'm excited to see the Frozen 2. I'm, I've got the tickets. We're ready to go. It's it's uh, Tuesday. Yeah, this coming up Tuesday in just a few days. So I'm really excited to hear another song from Adeem, Adele Dazeem. <laughs> uh, anyway, look that up. John Travolta, Adele Dazeem. You'll remember. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, crossing over and uh, kind of getting out of the uh, movie area, because I think that's all the movies that were all up inside of my brain, my nerd brain. So TV shows. Uh, I, I got to make a, a talk about the monster, this uh, the amazing uh, behemoth that is Disney+. Plus. This thing is amazing, folks. If you haven't done it, uh, sign up. Uh, it, it is missing some of those amazing Netflixian like features that we love, like uh, pick up where you left off. I love that. Uh, you know, continue. They, they're going to be making a continue row very soon. There isn't that on Disney Plus now. Uh, you know, kind of a like a recommendations, like a you know sort of a thumbs up or thumbs down. I like that on Netflix because it's surprising how well the al- algorithm of Netflix will recommend things to me that I that I have enjoyed and that I've watched. So Disney Plus needs a uh, some of the fine tuning, if you will, some of the just the fine tuning, but it's uh it's gonna get there. It's gonna get there in time. So hopefully uh, very soon they're 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 gonna have uh, some updates to it. But the amount amount of just content is just staggering, from the classic films to the Avengers to the Star Wars films to the Marvel stuff. It just goes on and on. There are some things that you'll click on and go, great, I'm gonna add this to my watch list. Oh wait a minute. Due to licensing, this isn't available yet. So some of that does happen. Netflix has some stuff. Hulu has some stuff. Amazon has some stuff. There's other stuff on other streaming platforms that they're just waiting for the the, the, the contract to sort of wear out. And then they'll come on over. But there's so many little deep cuts and, and, and movies that you haven't seen in the Disney catalog for a long time. Like uh, the Black Cauldrons one that I just saw right here that I just added to my wish list. <clears throat> there's just so many. Uh, but I got I got to give nods to the new content. Uh, I did watch the uh, the movie Lady and the Tramp. I got to give that a thumbs up. I enjoyed it. I'm a sucker for romantic films, and this is the most romantic dog film there is. And I love the time era that it's set in, and I love the the diversity, the the how many people are just sort of represented in this. It's fantastic, and it's also not made a big deal of. It just sort of rolls with that, and 
I'm just a big uh, sucker for romance, and uh, the dogs pull it off. And, of course, the song that always sticks in my head, you know, This is the night that a wonderful night, and they call it Bellinato. <laughs> I always gets jammed up inside my head. It's uh, adorable. Uh, I do recommend it. It's only about an hour and a half-ish, hour and 45 minutes long. Lady and the Tramp, Disney+. Plus. It zips on by, and it's beautifully filmed. Beautifully, beautifully filmed. And it isn't over-CG with the dogs. I, I felt they just they toned it down, and, and they did it right to where it doesn't take you out of film. And you go, oh boy, look at that. So much computer graphics. They, they just kind of... They've, they've kicked up the technology here. They spent some of the money on this, being that it's the, the sort of launch day film that's uh, available on Disney+. Plus. So, Leading the Tramp, worth checking out. You'll get a little warm and fuzz. Trust me. But of course, The Mandalorian. Yes, The Mandalorian is here. Three episodes uh, have are, are available now. The first two being directed by Jon Favreau himself of, of Iron Man and Zathura, etc. I love Jon Favreau as a director. And I gotta say, I, um, I was really surprised in that one thing, in that Favreau's episodes to when uh, the third episode was taken over by uh, a, a young Asian woman, I forgot, I think her last name was Chow, as director, there was not a, um, a, a big sort of difference in feel and tone and look. So she definitely, uh, you know, rode the coattails of John Favreau, and I mean that in the best of compliments, uh, because those two episodes establish themselves. They are setting up a kind of mysterious character uh, with heart, <clears throat> and it is just—it's uh, like it has the—it has, of course, the the DNA and the uh, you know the the delicious crust of all that is Star Wars. But there's some nice new kind of main ingredients in there, sprinkled in with some. You know, sort of history of the Mandalorians, which we only see bits and pieces of from, like, Rebels and the Clone Wars. So they kind of go a little deep cut there. And there's some things they're not answering, of course, right now. Like, is he just being a b bounty hunter for to rebuild his suit and find this Mandalorian medal? Or is it something else? You know, like, what is he... We don't understand sort of his motivation yet. But uh, when he stumbles across uh, Baby Yoda... He's uh, not about necessarily just dishing out his bounty. He has a heart. He doesn't want Baby Yoda to be experiment experimented on, uh, taken apart, murdered, something like that. But I'm super enjoying this, and it's it's got a, a, a Apollo Creed's in it. So, you know, I'm all on board. I'm an old-school Rocky fan, so gotta love that. <laughs> but uh, Pedro Pascal is doing a fantastic job. Uh, 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 we think it's him. No, we haven't seen his face. <laughs> Three episodes in, we haven't seen a lot of the other characters that have been cast yet, but Carl Weathers has popped up. He's sort of the uh, the devious, uh, you know, bounty uh, coordinator man that is the guy that for some reason has all these bounties. And uh, you go to him to get some work. And he feels... Is, has the, the taste and flavor that he's an upstanding kind of stand-up guy, but... And there's some hints leading there that, uh, you know, Apollo Creed has some issues. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. I like that little thread. But I, I seriously enjoy the action of it. There's very little dialogue, so it's fantastic in that regard. It's just, uh, it's visually stunning. I like that they're using this new technology that they've talked about. Instead of having, like, tons of green, sc green screen, they're actual, like, large televisions in the background. They're humongous... Uh, I don't know the exact technology, but they're they're giant televisions that are used as the far-off backdrops and so on. 
So, I, I it's I, it's approved by Mr. Lucas himself. So it's a new way to sort of definitely feel immersed. And I would imagine that it's uh, maybe it saves money instead of green screen and computer effect, and then it just has this cold sort of strange effect that that it's it's adding something to this. It definitely has a very you know movie cinematic feel to this TV show ish thing. Um, but but I love it. I want more of it. I look forward to it. They're only dishing out just one episode a week. It's kind of like every Friday, but uh, that alone is worth uh, buying a subscription to Disney Plus. I'm telling you, Mandalorian, amazing. It's inspiring, ins- inspired me to go back and watch uh, an oldie but a goodie, the uh, the Clone Wars. And this is on Disney+. And I skipped the Clone Wars for some reason when it came out. I, I can't remember why, for the life of me. But I am loving Star Wars The Clone Wars. There's a, there's a lot of it. <laughs> there's like six seasons, and uh, there's, there's six or seven seasons. I mean, there's a lot of it. And there's like 20... There's a there's six seasons and there's 121 episodes. Wow, they're about 19 20 minutes long, and this came out in 2008, so I skipped it, all of it, didn't see a second of it. I don't know if it was the the CGI 3D look to it or what it was, but uh, I like the the Gendy Tartakovsky stuff, the Clone Wars sort of mini movies that he did, love those, and it's it's in that Gendy Tartakovsky uh, style, Samurai Jack, etc., Powerpuff Girls. So I love that. And then I kind of went, oh, he's not doing this TV series, the new one? I'm out. I think that's what it was. But I'm not sure. But I'm loving it. And one of the main reasons I wanted to watch it, because I wanted to find and see the actual or another moment when Anakin becomes evil. When he actually joins the dark side. I mean, we see it in uh, episode two, the Clone Wars, when he, the Tusken Raiders and Anakin's mother is just being hung up and and barbecued for some reason (laughs) uh the tuscan raiders are there and he mows them all down everyone the children everybody we only see him just kind of lop a few in that one little angry moment where that music comes up and he just the tuscan raider and then cut scene i don't know why i know that that they have a hard time selling action figures of that anyway But anyway, I wanted to see another moment, another hint, another nudge of to when he's embracing the dark side. And I found it. So mark this down. It's in The Clone Wars uh, Season 2, Episode 8, and it's at the 14 minute and 30 second mark. Yes. So basically time is of the essence for Anakin. He desperately needs to find a way to save his Padawan, Ahsoka. And she's on this Republic ship that's being overrun by these mind-controlling snake like parasite worm things. And uh, they've taken over her clone squadron, and she's with this other Padawan named Barris Ophi. And Anakin's just fearing for Ahsoka's life. Like, he's just, he's attached to her. Another one of those rules, uh, Jedi rules broken, attachment. And they have this this cute sort of, you know, they, they constantly kind of nudge each other and tease each other, and it's just this f- very odd, fun Jedi relationship that no one else has uh, in the Jedi Order, because he's in a, a rule-breaking with the, the attachment thing. Anyway, so he has, no, uh, he has time is of the essence. He's got to find a way to stop these mind-controlling uh, these, these slugs, and so he tortures. It's this cool scene where he tortures a Genosian uh, general named Poggle. <clears throat> I don't know why. The name stuck out. It's like a board game. Poggle. I think it is a board game. No, anyway. Um, and so he breaks another rule there. Torturing and choking a man, uh, to this Geonosian general, to get information on how to stop these these parasite slugs that are mind-controlling parasite slugs. And so he chokes 
the Genosian, and you can see it in his face. It's just kind of like, time is of the essence. I'm attached to Ashoka. Ahsoka. She means so much to me. I, I'm, I don't care if this is taking a step, another step into the dark side pool. I need information. So it was cool. There it is. Mark it down. <laughs> Season 2, Episode 8, 14 minutes, 30 seconds in. Another moment where the uh, the essence of the dark side slips into Anakin. That sounds gross, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, more Disney Plus uh, shows. Uh, the Imagineering show, I absolutely love. I, I, I If I haven't said this, I, I am an employee of the Disney Corporation, and I have been uh, fortunate enough to see some cool things that I can't talk about, but Imagineering gives it to you. <laughs> like, uh, example, it shows a lot about the history of Walt Disney and what he did uh, to make Disneyland and, and all the lands. And some behind-the-scene nuggets of things like the basketball court at the top of the Matterhorn in Disneyland, California. Yes, there's a basketball court there. Very cool. And also there's a moment that's just awesome and kind of tear-jerking when the, the co-creator of the Matterhorn attraction had never uh, signed his name on anything on the wall. There were a lot of creators and cast members that signed their name on the wall inside the Matterhorn. People that that had to do with the building of it, the designing of it, everything. And the co-creator never signed his name. And they filmed that in the Imagineering document, documentary uh, of a moment where that creator gets to sign his name on the Matterhorn. And, and, and he takes a couple of shots on the basketball court that's up there at the top of the Matterhorn. So it's cool stuff like that. And it's only three episodes in. And it's just a it's a it's a, f- a festival of nostalgia. It really is. If you're a Disney fan, you need to watch the Imagineering documentary. It's beautiful and it's um, it's uh, surprising some of the things that they show that's behind the scenes and the making of and cast member secrets and so on. They're there. But uh, I'm extra proud being a a, a member of uh, a small tiny member of the Disney family. But um, Imagineering, oh, it, it's just so heartwarming, so inspiring and interesting uh, one of the best documentaries that's going to win awards for documentaries i i believe imagineering uh also the next one in uh, disney plus marvel hero project and this is like these little 30 minute showcases of these amazing kids that uh that have challenges in their lives and they've overcome some of those challenges and and found ways uh, through their strength, their positivity, their drive to sort of overcome the, some of the obstacles they've had in their lives. And so Marvel, the, um, the comic book uh, uh, like a group of people in comics, some of the high levels and VPs and creators in Marvel Comics, find uh, these kids and showcase them and, and spotlight them and do some special things like even make a comic book based on some of the things that they've, uh, the challenges they've had to overcome. <gasps> Excuse me. And and uh, and it's just it's beautiful. It's heartwarming. They're even just the way that Marvel Hero Projects looks. They have like comic book like panels and word bubbles and so on. And just the way the pages turn. And it's just a, a, just a comic book feel good time of these amazing kids. You gotta watch it. It's a it's just feel good. And it's again only weekly on the Disney Plus Marvel Hero Project. I absolutely love it, and it makes me proud to be a Marvel Comics fan. As to them just giving a little extra to some of these amazing, amazing kids. So I'm really loving that. Highly recommend it. Uh, and another one that's this odd and goofy, <laughs> being Disney+, Plus, uh, is The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Now, <laughs> I'm a fan of uh, his work. From going back to The Fly, go see the movie The Fly. 
and of course Jurassic Park stuff those are kind of the two that stick out he's been in a ton of other films and he's just he's quirky and odd and weird and I love all that and they just kind of it's it's kind of done by National Geographic and partnership with Disney Plus but they just sort of like ask him uh, you know Jeff what's interesting what do you find interesting and odd and and you would like to sort of mo- know more about and <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's like tennis shoes <laughs> I want to know more about sneakers why are they such a big deal why are they a billion dollar industry why are there so many unique colors and flavors why are people standing in line uh, you know camping for 10 days for Jordans he just goes deep on things that that interest him and uh, the first episode was shoes the second one is about ice cream he just loves ice cream and he's like this this strange little like like purring cat he, I think he's part feline because there's just these moments where he's like, he's he's, <laughs> they make him his own custom pair of shoes from this like high-level exclusive custom shoe designer, and he's opening the box when he partners with like this YouTuber that has the uh, unboxing of uh, exclusive you know shoes and Jordans and so on from Nike, and they make Goldblum his own pair of shoes and he's opening them up and he's just purring. He's like, he's just like, like this, he's just like this quirky, odd, weird, interesting person an actor and one of my favorite moments is when the uh, adidas company has him put on these glasses <laughs> where they uh they are they read the emotion uh, that that you're going through as you hold a pair of shoes and these glasses are somehow like a like a lie detector are able to sort of pick up on various emotions and so he as a test of his acting prowess he acts out each one of those categories like i'm going to feel disgust i'm going to act disgust and tell me if that aligns with what these goggles these glasses are saying and each one of them did like he's a master class actor because he was able to fool this probably billion dollar machine <laughs> into acting out these emotions and the machine picked them up perfectly I wanted to, I could have an hour documentary on just that like anyway just another interesting moment and strange odd funness that is uh, the world according to Jeff Goldblum I highly recommend it it's just uh, weird and odd and funny and uh, neat to see a guy that's half cat anyway um yeah, I think that that covers everything on Disney Plus. There's there's just so much that that's, that doesn't even count, uh, you know, uh, the other things that isn't uh, the new content that they're releasing. So Disney Plus, get it? It gives my stamp of approval. It's taken over so much of my time. I, I, it's just that's all we're doing is watching Disney Plus, and I recommend you do the same. I, I said this before it even came out that there's so much stuff on Disney Plus that I'll probably never go outside anymore. That's it. But. Uh, Anyway, <laughs> um, very, very much digging it. Um, other TV shows. Uh, Batwoman on the CW. I'm, I'm super enjoying Batwoman. And I, I, I just, one thing I, I love is the way the suit looks. Right off the bat, it's just the suit looks fantastic. And that's, that's huge. And I like that there's an evolution to the character. Like, Bruce Wayne, has, uh, Batman has been gone from Gotham for three years. So, uh, and we don't know where any of the Bat family is. They're just gone. Uh, so... Batwoman has to step up, and she's kind of this unlikely character that really, you know, wants to do things all very differently and and can't understand why and how Bruce has done it for so long when she finally figures out that Bruce is is Batman. And uh, some great acting characters here. You got Rachel Scarston as Beth, the sister of Ruby Rose. Sister? Question? Quote, unquote. Also plays like this Alice character that's very much like uh, going through a mental psychosis and um, sort of 
uh, obsession with Alice in Wonderland. And you have the, uh, the Megan Tandy, who plays Sophie, the ex-girlfriend of Ruby Rose, who the two of them got in trouble in this like military school because uh, they uh, they uh, you know it's the don't ask don't tell they were they were caught kissing and they were ejected from school so there's that little bit of that in there which uh, they they don't stick in your face it's not overly done but it's uh, that is true to the comic that's what happened to uh, to Batwoman in the comics uh, she was kicked out of the military this they do kind of uh, this uh, military academy per se to not say it's the government. And uh, sort of the, the one of the best actors uh, in, in this is the Do uh, Gray Scott. You'll recognize him from a bunch of stuff. He plays Colonel Kane, uh, Rat- Batwoman's dad. And it's really all about their relationship and the tenseness that's there. Um, because uh, early on, uh, um, Batwoman's mother and sister were killed in this car crash. And Batman wasn't able to save them. And so <laughs> Colonel Kane has an issue with Batman. So does Batwoman, uh, but then she finds out her cousin is uh, Bruce Wayne, who is Batman. So <clears throat> she kind of steps up to fill the void uh, to specifically handle this Alice character that may or may not be her sister and uh, who they thought was dead. So it's it's actually really done well. It, it goes away and it, it has some of the CW essence in it, the, uh, the machine that is all the comic book uh, shows they've got, but it also kind of stands alone and feels a little unique. Um, because she's a character they're kind of developing slowly, and because she's a character that is kind of an unlikely hero and doesn't necessarily follow the rules of anyone, she's kind of on her own as the only hero in town in Gotham right now. So she's doing things her way, figuring stuff out. And the other thing I, I like that's interesting is the is is Batwoman, uh, you know, Kate, her stepsister in this, and it's an interesting kind of character they're designing. It's uh, her name is Mary. Her uh, I think her. Mary's the is the is the uh, character's name Hamilton, and uh, the actress uh, actress's name is Nicole King, and I just like that. I, I've got a bunch of you know step uh, siblings in my family, so there's an interesting thing there where the stepsister wants to be close to Kate, but Kate is really trying to figure out if if uh, this Alice character is her sister that died, and yet you know Mary is like always been a very supportive and cool character. She also plays kind of like she's this partier kind of ditzy person but she, and she's actually like a med student and has this like clinic like this underground clinic where she's helping people so there's an interesting character design there for Kate Kane's stepsister so I'm in I like all of that so I definitely recommend Batwoman give it a chance it takes a few episodes to kind of get rolling but I'm enjoying it and it's really fun so Batwoman on the CW I do believe we're eight episodes in now you can see it on the CW app they're all still there. Go fast because they, for some reason, they start taking episodes off because I think this will eventually be on Netflix. But if you go now, they're all there on the CW app. So Batwoman, seal of approval, two bat thumbs up. Uh, next up is uh, the TV show that I super enjoyed. I highly recommend this. It's called Primal. Primal, Primal. This is from uh, Gendy Tartakovsky, who uh, is famously known for Cartoon Network stuff like Powerpuff Girls and the Clone Wars uh, show for Star Wars, the Samurai Jack series, which is one of my favorite cartoon series of all time. And this is like this this, <laughs> this ape man who's filled with rage that's just living in this very vicious, like, Jurassic period this uh, of time where there's, like, heavy, harsh winters and there's there's woolly mammoths in here and there's, like, there he has this family that's brutally murdered by, like, this... 
kind of T-Rex looking dinosaur. I like that they kind of twist upon the uh, prehistoric, uh, you know, dinosaurs here. It's like it's its own little sort of prehistoric world. So you can't really lay a finger on it that it's, oh, this is pre-Jurassic. Uh, this is 10 million years ago. It's kind of their own thing. Including these, uh, this this giant tribe of, uh, of, of ape men. Very Planet of the Apes kind of like, but they... They don't speak. Really, no one speaks. There's no dialogue in this. No one talks. There's nothing but gruntings and screamings and animal uh, sounds and guttural noises of uh, of T-Rexes and, and Velociraptors. It's it's brutal. It's it's kind of a rated R cartoon. It, I, it premiered on October 7th of this year. There's only five episodes of it. Primal. And it's... Uh, it, it, Gendy Tartakovsky is uh, an amazing creator. I hope that he does more small series like this with like five episodes. It's something I want to buy. It's something I've watched more than once. But uh, I love, my favorite part of it is that he has made this best friend. He's created this bond with like a raptor sort of, well, it's more like a small T-Rex uh, creature. And the same thing that happened uh, to uh, his family. They were murdered by this sort of giant uh, T-Rex uh, creature. Uh, happened to this smaller uh, Velociraptory T-Rex creature, and th- her family was killed. So they somehow, uh, you know, the enemy of the enemy, they become they become friends. They bond, and they go on this journey together, just to try to stay alive in this extremely harsh uh, prehistoric world. So you got to see this Raging Ape Man series called Primal. It's on Adult Swim. You can see all five uh, episodes there. They're short. They're like 20 minutes long. Binge it. Watch it. I want to buy it. I want to own it. I want to watch it again. It's just, uh, it's, it's just fun, brutal, harsh. Uh, the world of Primal, so so good. Highly recommend it. Uh, moving on to another show that I really love. It's uh, I'm really super enjoying this year. Is The Walking Dead. I say that uh, like uh, I'm surprised. I have watched every episode of Walking Dead. I've read every comic, every issue of the uh, comic. And I still like doing that thing when I watch The Walking Dead is to like, oh, it's like the comic, but they did it differently. They did this little turn, little twist. This little character is alive. Oh, this one's dead. This character's not in the comic. Yes, it's uh, it's it's manic that way. I still like doing that and comparing and going, hmm, was that in episode issue 136, I think, of The Walking Dead where this one did that and now is this? I, I just compare and contrast and I, I still have uh, fun with it in that way. But season 10, it's really about the hilarious rise of Negan. If you've watched any of it, stick with it, or just watch this season, it's fine. It's it's Negan's been mostly in a prison for a long time, uh, because, uh, you know, it's uh, it's he's been captured, and they're no longer, uh, the Neganites are gone, I am Negan's are no more, and so he was in a prison, they kept him alive, he's out of prison, so he's just kind of finding his rhythm again, finding this new version of Negan, who's kind of been rehabilitated, and he's been kind of like planting tomatoes, and like, you know, digging ditches, and now he's free. Is he going to go back into the uh, the maniacal psychopath that is Negan and, and lead another group of people? Well, before you can decide that, the new group of Whisperers have captured him. And so is he going to flip and go against our hero family of uh, Daryl and Michonne, etc.? Or is he going to, you know undermine them i you know we know i know what happens in the comic but here we go maybe it will uh, maybe he'll won't he'll maybe do something different that he did or didn't do in the comic anyway still enjoying it the walking dead season 10 has been fun amc still knows how to do it it, it feels like this is Endgame time stuff i kind of hope that it is i don't know but i'd be fine with it continuing to go on there's no other zombie tv show i'm watching so 
for me, it fills a very singular void. So there you go. Uh, all right, so I think that that is all of my movie and TV nerdy stuff that's floating around up in the ooze of my brain. So I'll move now along to a couple of things that happened in the past that I really want to point out that are just some fantastic nerd nuggets that I seriously want to point out so that you can go to these things when they happen next year. Uh, the first one is uh, LA Comic Con. I gotta say that LA Comic Con has stepped up their game. Every single year, um, it gets bigger, it gets better, it gets uh, it gets deeper in its panels of how to make comics. It uh, it still has the main stage, which I wish all Comic Cons had this. It's got a giant main stage where all of the sort of main action takes place, so you don't have to go into a dark and dingy panel room that's a million miles away from the main area. And I think that a lot of, I think all the cons should do that. Because uh, there's no way to do all of it. And so at least this kind of like, oh, I can be next to a shop as I watch like Jay and Silent Bob on stage. And that was a big highlight for me was seeing Jay and Silent Bob. And they're talking about that movie, which when it comes around, I think it's out-ish. It wasn't a major release, this movie, the reboot, but I do want to see it. And they were just funny. They were unscripted. Uh, We had some great laughs uh, just watching, uh, you know, Kevin Smith, Jay and Silent Bob on stage. It It was very cool. And uh, the Hellboy movie review, uh, reunion. I really dug that. It was uh, the old Hellboy uh, movies, not the new one. <laughs> Although that was fine too. And so it was just cool to see all of them back on stage and all together. I dug that and it, it just made me long for uh, why they didn't do a third one. They could have kept going. Um, the how to make comic panels were robust. There was a lot of uh, good timed out elements. Good interesting topics. One of my favorites was the uh, creating comics from beginning to end. Uh, and owning it all by yourself. That's not the name of the panel, but it was just focusing upon comic book creators that do every aspect of it and how the uh, and just the joy they get from, from being a, the sole creator of every aspect of their own comic. And I thought that was great. The Artist Alley, oh my gosh, there was so many things in Artist Alley. And for the first time ever, they had over 800 exhibitors. That's right, toys, clothes, art, just LA Comic Con exclusive items. It was just humongous. It was insane. It was humongous. But I just wanted to point out, and I'm doing all this to kind of get you hyped. If you live in California or you don't, go to LA Comic Con. It's really trying to be a main staple. I, I still miss when it was called Kamikaze Con, Stan Lee's Kamikaze Con. But I know what they're trying to do here. They're trying to create a primary core con like New York and San Diego and LA. So it's my favorite con of the year. And I've been to most of them. Um, so I highly recommend LA Comic Con. Getting better, worth the funds, worth the money. Uh, the the it, it's just overall it's it's been fantastic making me seriously happy, LA Comic Con. But my favorite overall highlight was meeting the amazing comic book creator Gabriel Hardman and his wife uh, Karina Bech- Bechko. And they were they are just super nice people, so of course that helped because uh, you know what they say about you know meeting your uh, meeting your your mentors. Be careful because sometimes that doesn't you know go the way you hope. But super nice people. And uh, Gabriel Hardman, by the way, created some amazing comics like Invisible Republic, uh, Green Lantern, Earth One, one of my favorite uh, Aliens series called Aliens Dust to Dust. You gotta see that. He did this uh, new, an older series that I hadn't read called Kinski, and it has to do with uh, the family dog. So I, I gotta see that and what that's all about. And uh, he's just an amazing creator. He does uh, like to be all hands-on and do every aspect of the comic book creating process by himself. 
and luckily he's paid his dues. He worked for Marvel and DC and Image and Dark Horse, all these other comp companies, and sold tons of comics to the point to where now he can like kind of write his own ticket, create his own series. He can do these like one shots. This one called the Belfry. Look that up. It's great to, to reread on Halloween. It's a story of this kind of bat vampire. I believe it was during World War II. I'm going to reread it. I loved it. He signed a copy for me. But he uh, he's of that caliber to where he now, uh, deservedly so, can just do these interesting, unique one-shots or small series. Like I said, go see Aliens, read Aliens Dust to Dust. There's almost no dialogue in it. It's just an action-packed. From panel to panel, uh, you'll just—it's a quick read, and it's so exciting and fun. He's a fantastic artist, uh, you know, creator, writer, pace uh, the way he, he does pacing in his comics. It's like you sort of just—it's—he's a page turner. And if he wrote a novel, I would imagine it would have that same sort of thing. He—he he must have that—that that gene that like Howard Stern has, where he's always afraid you're kind of gonna—you're gonna get bored. And I think that's something that drives Howard Stern. I think that's something that drives Gabriel Hardman to make sure the listener, the reader, is just interested and excited and uh, it wants to turn each page and wants to read more. And he doesn't even oversaturate the market. It's not like he does a ton of things. He really wants to do quality work. And plus, you got to wait a while because he does everything from beginning to end. So Gabriel Hardman, please check him out as a creator. His wife, Karina, does a lot of the lettering, a lot of the coloring, a lot of the co-art, a lot of the co-creation. So she's also part mastermind with him. That is Gabriel Hardman. So I just wanted to point him out that it's something that's been resonating and I bought a stack of his stuff and I'm still reading it now. I've got Kinski to go and then I'm all caught up. But uh, I check him out. Gabriel Hardman. I love his writing style and his artistic ability and that he it's all him from beginning to end. Well, him and his lovely wife. And the last thing as I'm digging into the past here, <laughs> the one that was another thing that happened that was, you know, a month or so ago, was Halloween Comic Fest. Yes, I didn't want to just uh, let this one go by. Halloween Comic Book Fest, uh, Comic Fest, is sponsored by Diamond, uh, the distributor <laughs> that comic book shops uh, either love or hate or kind of both. Um, but they've been doing uh, this comic book, uh, Comic Fest, Halloween Comic Book Fest, for a couple years now. I want to say it's like maybe five or seven years. And it's just getting better and better. It's always like the Saturday before uh, Halloween, or depending on when. It, uh, like this year, I, I believe it was the it was the Wednesday before Halloween. So uh, check your listings. Go to HalloweenComicFest.com. This year they had 19 brand new full-size comics they gave away for free. Yes, 5, 10, 15, 19 full-size comics. And some of them were fantastic. I picked up Deceased, uh, issue number one, which was great. Uh, it's the DC, um, you know, zombies. Uh, there was one from Aftershock called Dark Red that I highly recommend. I'm really enjoying this vampire series set in the Midwest. Uh, it's kind of a curmudgeon vampire that wants to be left alone, but people are messing with his territory called Dark Red. They gave out the first issue of that on the Halloween Comic Fest. Local comic book shops have sales. They have raffles. They have, you know, costume contests. There is a big cos costume contest on Halloween Comic Fest as well. There's even mini comics. They gave away nine mini comics, like kind of kid focused, kind of kid focused. Um, but just a few there that were that were interesting as well. But a good stack of comics. Uh, the one uh, that I really enjoyed too 
was this uh it was it's called mascots it's from aspen and i just i, I totally dug it it was a freebie again given out uh, on Halloween Comic Fest. So I wanted to point it out. There are still a few that I haven't read that are here. Uh, Ghost Rider was one that I'll be talking about uh, soon, but it's Ghost Rider King of Hell. That was also a freebie giveaway on Halloween Comic Fest. So I don't, I didn't want to, uh, people to forget about it. I wanted to point it out and uh, highlight it so that it's kind of in your brain for next year. Go to a local comic book shop and uh, around Halloween time and pick up all the free comics and, and get involved. And every year it gets a little better. Like I said, there's there's even some unique giveaways. Last year it was like Hero Clicks. I got this Hulk Hero Click. So it's just fun stuff. Go to HalloweenComicFest.com and check them out. It's just getting better and better every single year. And, and support those local comic book shops. They don't get these comics for free. Uh, they have to pay for them. So we get them for free. Buy something when you're in there. Buy a shirt. Buy a comic book. Buy a, f- a few comics. Buy some bags and boards. Pick up a, a trade paperback. Get a graphic novel. Just get some stuff and support your local comic book shops for Halloween Comic Fest. So just wanted to just wanted to dig into the past a minute and kind of lay that out there. So, uh, oh, and before I um, move on to the last thing that's floating around on my side of my nerdy brain, is I wanted to give a shout-out to a, a, a local comic book shop. Uh, I was in Las Vegas not too long ago, and I went to a fantastic comic book shop in Las Vegas, and it's called Cheese Boy Comics. Yes, uh, whenever I'm in Vegas, I have family out there, this is the shop I go to. So if you're in the Las Vegas area, go say hi to Colby. Yes, his name is Colby at Cheese Boy Comics. And uh, I follow them on everything. Go to cheeseboycomics.com for all the links to their Facebook and Instagram and whatnots and their specials and everything. They're just comic-centric. Colby knows comics inside and out. He'll give you some great recommendations. His staff is the same way. That's what I really love about this shop. They have decent prices. They don't try to gouge you. So it's just, I, I when I was in town, I went to a bunch of comics, uh, comic book shops for my job at Aftershock. But this was, uh, I, I gotta say, one of my favorites. And uh, I just had a blast, and Colby's the nicest of guys. And it's a it's a good size shop, great selection, great prices, like I said. But go check out Cheese Boy Comics when you're in Las Vegas. Yes, save some of your money from the craps table. Go buy some comics and support Colby at uh, at Cheese Boy Comics. Go check him out again at CheeseBoyComics.com. Just wanted to give a shout out and say hello to my buddy Colby. And the last thing that's floating around inside of my weird nerdy brain. Yes, there's been a lot of things floating around. I'm sure I missed a few, but uh, um, is. Uh, my comic book that I'm creating called Zombie Destroyers. Yes, it's like there's so many things. Uh, Zombie Destroyers is uh, a comic book that I created, and I'm actually doing the writing, the layouts, and the lettering in Zombie Destroyers. And uh, I just want to give a quick Zombie Destroyers update. Issue number one, the pencils, uh, the inks, and the bonus page are done. So I'm working on the lettering and the coloring. But uh, I did lose uh, my artist, Jordan. So uh, I've now I've I've uh, decided I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to school. I'm going to uh, to take art and graphic design, and I'm going to try to draw zombie destroyers myself. And I, I honestly cannot draw, but that's one of the reasons why I want to. I, I'm kind of that person that if I feel like I can't do something, that I'm gonna work extra hard to figure it out and master it and put in the 10,000 hours uh, and will myself away to learning how to draw comic book art. So I'm going to do it. Um, so I'm just embarking on a new adventure. Thank you, uh, Disney, for paying for school. <laughs> That's uh, what they do as being an employee at Disney. So uh, thank you so much. School's so expensive. But uh, we'll see how it goes as me as an artist. 
Uh, fingers crossed, and I hope it goes well. If you want to look and see um, what Zombie Destroyers looks like looks like right now, whether I put some sample pages on my website, just go to uh, sunspotscomics.com and click on Zombie Destroyers. And you'll see some sample pages there, and it's uh, it's beautiful stuff. It's a fantastic story I've been working on since I was a kid. And uh, if also if you are, um, um, I am looking for someone to help with art. Maybe this is something uh, you know I'll do in, in, at the same time. But if uh, if you're looking to kind of breaking into a comic book uh, with me, and and you in, like my concept, and you look at Zombie Destroyers on my website, and maybe this is something that speaks to you. Uh, send me a sample of your uh, sequential comic book art uh, to my email. Um, send me your asking page rate. I- I'd love to kind of have a conversation with you. Maybe that's something I can do. I'm still going to school and going to try to do it myself anyway. But maybe uh, if I find someone that uh, is similar in style, similar in, in, what I'm, in my vision, that is Zombie Destroyers, uh, you know, you never know. Maybe uh, we'll have make something happen. But send me an email to chris at sunspotscomics.com. Again, send me some of your sample work and uh, your asking page rate. And anyway, go over to sunspotscomics.com, click on Zombie Destroyers, check it out, and uh, more to come soon on uh, Zombie Destroyers from yours truly here, me, Chris, at Sunspots Comics. So uh, next up, I wanted to do a quick mention of our interview segment of the podcast. It's called Spotlighting. Spotlighting is uh, where I proudly share conversations that I've had with some amazing comic book creators. I've been so lucky to have some great comic book creators on the show here, like Daniel Warren Johnson of Murder Falcon, Troy Nixie of Trout, Marcus Inasso of Voracious, Zach Kaplan of Eclipse, and just so many more. Please check them out on our Sunspots Comics podcast feed right now. They're all there for your listening pleasure. And also, if you already work in the comic book biz or you're trying to break in, like me, Let's have a fun chat about your comic book right here, right here, the one you're working on. Yes, right here on a future Sunspots Comics podcast. Just send me an email, preferably with a review copy of your comic book, to me, Chris, at sunspotscomics.com, or message me at sunspotscomics, so we can just set that up and have you as a guest on a future Sunspots Comics podcast to talk about the comic book you're working on. Yes, on our spotlighting segment. So now, on to the super-powered main event of the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Yes, the meat and potatoes, which is uh, my recommendations, my comic book recommendations. I am about to share with you uh, my 34 favorite comic book picks of the new comic books. Yes, 34. That just came out on the last nine new comic book days. Yes, from September 25th all the way to November 20th. Yes. 34 comics. This is a Sunspots Comics record. I've never recommended this many comics, so get out a large pen and paper. Write this stuff down. Take out your iPhone and open a new note. There's 34 comics I'm going to recommend. And here is your super-duper light, semi-spoiler-ish alert! Yes, I seriously want to just inspire you to go and buy these comics and fully enjoy them, so I really, really, really do not spoil them all that much at all. I also never, never discuss the last few pages or the cliffhanger. I leave that alone, and I only discuss some of the interesting points in each comic book. So there's also 34 of them this week. So these are just little light, recommendation-y, kind of review-y things. But just in case, super-duper light, semi-spoiler-ish alert. Yes. Now here, (laughs) I can't believe there's 34. Yeah, it's unprecedented. This is, like I said, record-breaking. And the breakdown. So, <laughs> I actually read a pull list of 151 comics 
151, 151 comics in the last nine new comic book days, the last nine Wednesdays in a row from September 25th to November 20th. And only 34 of them made it to the Great Ones recommendation list. That's right. It's got to be great for me to just give you the recommendation and to make uh, the Sunspots Comics podcast top pick list. It's got to be great. And new number ones. In the last nine weeks, I actually read 27 new number ones. New number one brand new comics, yes. And 13 of those 27, yeah, almost half of them actually made it to my recommendation pick list, yes. Number one's got to be just extra top-notchy, or I just won't recommend them to you. I really want to save you time and money and recommend the best. So here we go. There are 34 great new comic books this week that I'm about to recommend to you again. The last nine new comic book days from September 25th to uh, November 20th. I strongly, strongly recommend that, you know, I know 34 is a lot, but I strongly recommend you go and buy these at your local comic book shop today. There's bound to be something that's going to speak to you here. There's 34 of them, and there's definitely an eclectic, uh, diverse mix of uh, genres and styles and, and art that's just going to, there's going to be at least 40 to 71% of these that are going to speak to you. Trust me. So, <laughs> so 34. And the way I list them out, is the uh, oldest to newest. So I start with the uh, the uh, September 25th uh, first and go all the way to November 20th. So that's the way it's going to roll. So here we go now. <laughs> the first of the 34 comics that I'm going to be discussing. Here we go. My first recommendation is, it's called Ether, The Disappearance of Violet Bell, issue number one. So it's one of those new number ones here and this is uh, from dark horse comics and it's matt kent on writing who's top notch and david rubin on art who is amazing his art is surprising it's it's definitely uh it's colorful and it's delicious it's spellbinding it's different than a lot of comic book art you're going to look at he does huge panels at times there is a lot to look at he has this kind of chris bocciolo feel but he's even more unique than that. Like in page two of Ether, The Disappearance of Violet Bell, he numbers out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and draws these characters into the numbers that you're going to see later. It's like these sort of gods in this uh, other upside down world that uh, that this Professor Boone uh, is, is accessing. That's the core of the story. It's this, this professor that kind of travels to this other dimension, and he is uh, going there in just the... Uh, and, and really just the in, in the in the essence of science and he's trying to just unlock the mysteries that is this world and find practical applications find medicines that could benefit us humans and he's just going there to be an explorer and it's cost him this this uh, professor moon it's cost him so much it's cost him the love of his life it's cost him uh, just his health he, he had to even find an interesting unique way to eat in this upside down crazy dimension because all the food was making him sick so even that uh, was a challenge but it, it's got a mixture of kind of a lord of the rings sort of feel to it with like goblins and so on but there are some unique characters that that david rubin has designed here that you will not see anywhere uh, there's monsters and crazy leech monsters, and there's like these fleas that are like, uh, it's definitely kind of mixing and bending uh, science and the supernatural together. And that's what I love about Ether. This is like the second volume of Ether. I highly recommend the first volume, and I absolutely enjoyed this. It was so much fun, and it's so weird and interesting, 
and I just want more and more and more of this. That's Ether Disappearance of Violet Bell, issue number one. It, like I said, spellbinding art, insane crazy story, a man that sacrificed everything for science, and uh, and he's now trying to uh, keep this uh, this realm together. There's a, something that's happened. Someone that was murdered here, and uh, and of importance and. There's someone that's that's close to him that he met that's kind of this androgynous character uh, that he's sort of uh, befriended and that person is in peril and so now uh, Boone has to go and save this person and uh, just interesting it's it's got a lot of uh, great action panels huge gigantic panels of art there's this cobra sort of venomousy monster that he fights with a sword fantastic action sword sequence and the colors in this are just bananas you got to see how the colorful display that is david rubin art it's he's he's a master class colorist <clears throat> so ether the disappearance of violet bell it's on issue number two i believe right now so get them it's it's just wonderful next up is uh coming up in the 30 33rd i'm already losing track of so many uh, Manor Black, issue number three. And this is from Dark Horse Comics. I love that Dark Horse is uh, is definitely making a shift into being a little more uh, into a little more like Image, and they're 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 kind of definitely leaping into more of the horror genre and these uh, into miniseries. They're not so worried about making uh, long term. Uh, if something breaks out, I'm sure they'd have no problem with that. But this is written by. Masterclass horror writer Cullen Bunn, one of my favorites. He uh, he he wrote one of my favorite horrors of all time, Harrow County. And this is uh, partnered up again with Tyler Crook, and that's uh, that's one of my favorite artists. He did the art for Harrow County, so he has this oil painting, water painting style of art. It is fantastic. I highly recommend Manor Black, and this is about this this strange house run by this uh, older man who's kind of a wizard that is uh, he's gathering a pool of blood for something in this insane house and this woman who is kind of a a firebender for a better way of describing her has stumbled upon this house once she's just trying to escape and live from this ominous character that's trying to kill her she doesn't know who he is or why she he's trying to kill her but she just sort of seeked refuge in the manner uh, black house and uh, and she's kind of also um, with the older man that's running manor black his tutelage is kind of understanding her fire powers and how there's like typically a totem that is a, a creature that sort of helps focus her power like the crow in the crow comics and so <clears throat> her totem now is has disconnected from her and it's setting this town aflame literally and so that's kind of the gist of it here in issue three. There's some great character development. There's a policeman in town that is like quickly drank the Kool-Aid that there's supernatural occurrences going on in his town. And he just wants to get to the bottom of it and do whatever it takes. He's just the kind of, you know, just the ear to the grindstone. He knows everyone in town. He's that cop that kind of everyone loves. It kind of reminds me of that Stranger Things policeman in a way. He's curmudgeon-y. But uh, people respect him in the town. A little different situation than the cop in Stranger Things. But the watercoloring style here from Tyler Crook is just a pleasure to look at. It's lovely. It's just a, an interesting story. I want to see where this goes. There's a great action sequence here where there's these these uh, 
kind of like these hobos, these bums living in a, in a, in a dilapidated home that's trying to take over the fire totem. And so our young character has to leave Manor Black and attempt to sort of control the totem again. But she's afraid that that man that's trying to kill her, this mysterious creature, will find her uh, character. Who also looks like Hush from the Batman series. He has bandages all over his, his body and like red eyes. But anyway, cool character design as the villain. We don't know who he is, so it's mysterious. So uh, get it. Manor Black, issue number three. Get the first two issues. It's a lot of setup. But uh, it's also, I love the sort of grayscale that it's drawn in, but then every now and then it's like, boom, yellow flames or red eyes. So there's like a grayish kind of green scale that most of the comic is in, setting this kind of cool tone, but then boom, some crazy yellows and reds that pop out to kind of just contrast and just splash you with like an amazing bit of color. That's Tyler Crook, y'all. One of my favorites. So check that out. It's so fantastic. Manor Black. Okay, next up is White Trees, issue number two. White Trees is a image comic, and it's from Chip Zdarsky uh, writing, and who's, who's, who's right now also, I'm really enjoying his writing of, uh, of Daredevil on the Marvel series. Um, and art by Chris Anka, very kind of anime style, and um, coloring, Matt Wilson. One of the best in the business, so the coloring is top-notch it has this kind of east of west coloring kind of palette and it's uh, ultimately it's just two issues this is number two of two the first issue had a very shocking um <laughs> kind of orgy scene the best uh, way to describe it uh it, it it was just out of this world shocking whereas the main sort of thrust of the story <laughs> so wrong choice of words um the main plot of the story is this uh, this kind of military general uh, that's that lives in this kind of very fantasy realm who wants to just live a normal life. It seems like he's lost everyone that's loved that he's loved and he's lost a lot and he wants to just live alone. Well, the king kind of calls him for another another mission, which is to to find his son, I believe, or someone that's related to him, uh, his daughter. Anyway, uh, you know, it, it's. He has no choice but to be drawn back into this fight for a king he doesn't respect. And he doesn't want to kill anymore. He has these crazy flashbacks of how he's murdered so many people and he's just done with it. He just doesn't want to do that anymore. That's the kind of interesting aspect and how he's sort of pulled back into this to to take to, to help someone that's captured. And so he kind of gets his two main generals with him. Uh, just the three of them go on an epic road trip. It's kind of a bonus-sized comic as well, being it's just two episodes. The first issue, I want to say, was like 45 pages or, or maybe 50. So it's really kind of the the equivalent of like four issues here, but it's just uh, White Trees issue number one and two, and it's done. But it's drawn so super well. It, it, it Again, it's this, the, the key part of it that is interesting to me is this reluctant, you know, kind of retired general, but has to do what he has to do. He wants to be kind of a pacifist, and is he going to get pushed past the limit to where he has to murder, death, kill people constantly? Well, it wouldn't be very interesting, I guess, if he if he didn't cross that line or question himself. But that's what it's really kind of about. And his two best friends, he's kind of lost touch with his two best friends. And it's kind of like they're on a road trip together. So it's kind of finding his his two best friends again. It's it's finding his path in, in the world. Is he going to be back uh, being a murderous general? Or live as a pacifist? Or is this the one last road trip for him? One last hurrah? That's what White Trees is about. So check it out. 
warning, uh, issue number one, <laughs> shocking scene, like I said, that was kind of out there not having to do much with anything else. It was just there, the shock. It was kind of like a, it reminded me of Saga from Image. It's just one of those shocking moments that was thrown in there. And uh, it didn't go with the rest of it, really. It's <laughs> just one moment. But anyway, so that's the uh, one, two, three from September 25th. So now we're on to the next new comic book day, which is October 2nd. So October 2nd, we got a few here. Uh, let's start out with uh, Deceased, issue number five. So Deceased, issue number five. I believe Deceased is over at issue six. So, uh, and it's already out, but uh, it didn't make the countdown. This was my favorite of the six issues of Deceased. This is uh, by DC Comics. This is their zombie series. Um, this is the issue where Superman, uh, he gets the zombie virus. And, oh my God, there's an unforgettable scene here. I'm only talking about some of the things that are happening here, but uh, it's, first, the Flash is infected, and Superman has to catch the Flash. And how he does that is interesting, how he sort of leaves the planet Earth and has to sort of cross the planet to catch up to the Flash. So again, it's that who's faster sort of thing that happens, and he kind of cheats, but... There's a, a, a scene here where Superman has to just run through, or fly through the Flash to stop him. And that's how Superman gets infected. And it's, it's just, there's so much more that happens in this comic. I'm not spoiling everything. There's another major moment that happens in uh, Deceased. But, uh, wow. This is, this is top-notch stuff. You gotta look at it. You gotta read it. Deceased. It's, like I said, it's there. It's the DC's comic, uh, their, their, their zombie comic. It's, uh, you know, like Marvel uh, zombies, but all the DC characters. It's just fun. It's uh, zombie-related. It's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, the virus is, is linked to social media, and how social media itself is a virus. There's that sort of uh, double entendre, that sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> metaphor to social media. So DC's. It was a previous winner, by the way, uh, in uh, the, the previous uh, issues. Number one was a top pick. I think it was just number one and five were, were my faves. But uh, Deceased, got to check it out. It's great stuff. It's fun. And no continuity. Just, you know, you just have to take the continuity hat off, literally. Put it in a box and put it under your bed. Because it's, it's just, you know, it's just madness. But anyway, coming up next for uh, New Comic Book Day, October 2nd, is Ghost Rider, issue number one. Yes, they revamped Ghost Rider. And uh, this is from Marvel Comics, and this is uh, written by, uh, it'll come to me here, it's coming up, Ed Brisson, so fantastic writer, one of my faves, Aaron Cooter on art, clean, crisp, very Marvel-like art. I love that even uh, in the, the credits page, they sort of frame things with the chains, with the, yes, that's just kind of everywhere, it's a nice little framing touch that they use in various spots, but... I like this a lot. The art was fantastic, and it's uh, it's sort of partnering up both of the uh, Ghost Riders, like the original one and then the uh, new one, but the, the Miguel Ghost Rider's not in here, so uh, maybe he will be? I liked that, uh, especially when it was done by Trad Moore, and uh, you know the Camaro sort of uh, car that he had, and the look of that Ghost Rider, very kind of digitally kind of look, and... The jacket was a, it's just an amazing design from Trad Moore. Uh, check that out. But I hope he's in this eventually. But uh, you have one uh, Ghost Rider that uh, believes that there is a hole, uh, a, a sort of uh, uh, 
a way to get from hell to earth that's kind of open, this this pathway uh, that's open, and uh, and uh, one of the hell, one of the one of the uh, ghost riders is believes, uh, and they kind of play around with this that maybe he's uh, going through a psychosis, and it's not happening. That uh, demons are escaping onto earth, and uh, so he is now the kind of leader of hell. And I, I know there's Johnny Blaze, and then there's the other one, but I forgot who they are. Their names escape me, but. Maybe he's not seeing these things. Maybe there aren't demons on Earth because he might just be killing regular people. Or the other Ghost Rider that's currently on the planet, I, I, maybe that's Johnny Blaze. One of the two is Johnny Blaze. That, that much I know. Um, is trying to stop him. He's like, no, you, uh, there's no, there's no demons. And maybe he's seeing things. But uh, maybe who's actually doing this is uh, these <laughs> these four uh, sort of demon. Uh, millennials that are on, in hell maybe uh, creating these illusions that are messing with the Ghost Rider's brain having him leave Earth so they can take over hell but they're so millennially that's, that's not a word, I'm sorry they're riding mopeds and they have like a <laughs> they're riding like Vespas in hell, red Vespas and it seems like they're the ones that may be sending these uh, ghost-like uh, apparitions or uh, illusions uh, onto Earth to where the two Ghost Riders are fighting each other, but it's 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 beautifully drawn. Of course, the flame scenes when the, uh, there's a city scene where it's New York City and the Ghost Rider just launched over the cityscape and the, and the flames at night is just gorgeous. It's what you want. It's got an interesting premise. So I'm in. I love that it, there's a director's cut as well to this. So there's plenty of stuff to chew on at the end. And there's tons of like funny humor written into this. I like the snarkiness of it uh, between everyone and the characters that you see. But... Uh, it definitely has a more of the R-rated-ish violence that you uh, that I wasn't expecting in the Marvel comics. There's definitely some heavy kind of violence and blood and, and gore in this. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, the hilarious, like, demon millennials is enough reason to read this alone. <laughs> Trust me. All right. Um, oh, and there's a... <coughs> excuse me. There's a bonus um, caretaker story. Got to check that out. I love bonus stories. I love director's cut stuff. So, tons to chew on. Get the director's version. There's a standard issue one and there's a director's cut. Get Ghost Rider issue number one, director's cut. Uh, the caretaker story at the end is fantastic. That's uh, worth the price of admission all by itself. But I love little mini stories that sort of tie in. And like the whole script is in this. The whole light penciling is in this. The whole process of making comics is in Ghost Rider's issue number one. So, get it, get it, get it immediately trust me coming up next we're still in october 2nd is a uh, new number one also it's grendel devil's odyssey issue number one of eight this is a dark horse comic and this is another one of those creator-owned series from matt wagner he does the uh he created it he wrote it and drew it colors by brendan wagner maybe his son brother cousin uncle i don't know <clears throat> but they share the same last name but uh I was not a giant Grendel fan in the past. There's tons of Grendel stuff going back way, I think, uh, early 80s. So there's there's omnibus out there for Grendels. But this is a little different. Uh, the Grendel here is like this uh, living weapon. I think he's a sort of robot created by this Grendel Khan, who's like the, uh, you know, the, the main Grendel, the Grendel Prime or whatever. Um, anyway, this... The, the Grendel Prime character, the main character here, is uh, he, I believe he's a cyborg. And he has uh, been given a mission to 
to save the human race and take a DNA on, onto a ship and go out into the, uh, the the universe to find a habitable planet to spread the seed of Earth. And I love that there's a very phallic ship here <laughs> that literally has human DNA in his phallic spaceship. I don't think that's meant to be funny, but it's definitely very clear uh, by the penisy ship that he has <laughs> as it <laughs> pierces through the galaxy. <laughs> it's you got to see these couple of opening sequences, but I love, love, love the kind of Blade Runner feel to this. This Grendel's Devil's Odyssey. It's way in the future, and I love the the visual. It, it, the Grendel character reminds me of the Crow a bit, or Venom. He's kind of all black suited. He has a pink lightsaber. He has the white kind of venom eyes slash crow eyes kind of thing. Um, and he loved that he has the, he's tailed by this cyborg that chronicalizes everything. And it's like the C-3PO character. And he's just, he's snarky and constantly giving Grendel uh, the business. <laughs> but uh, there's just tons of funny dialogue with his drone companion. I love the design of the pink lightsaber too. And, uh, and, and there's this great scene where he uses the pink lightsaber against this giant sand flea alien. You gotta look at it. It's just gr it's an excellent design uh, for this flea alien. So yeah, he jumps back on the penis ship from time to time, <laughs> goes to other planets, um, trying to find a habitable planet to spread the DNA of the last humans. And uh, right now, it's just... Uh, there, there's some complexity here in, as to why uh, he's doing it at the beginning where he has these conversations... I love the way that uh, that that Matt Wagner lays out some of the dialogue. It's very kind of Kevin Smithian, is what it reminds me of. Kevin Smith, like. <laughs> anyway, uh, Grendel, Devil's Odyssey, issue number one. Get it? It's space. It's it's like I said. It's uh, it's Blade Runnery, and it's like a pink lightsaber and penisy spaceship. You got to see it. It's great, and it's it's done real serious, and it's fun. Lots of action sequences. Uh, Grendel's Devil's Odyssey, issue number one. Get it? Get it? Get it? Okay, coming up next, we're still in uh, October 2nd, new comic book week, is Mountainhead, issue number one. No, it's issue number two. And uh, issue number one was a previous top pick, so this thing is on a roll. We're only on issue number two of Mountainhead, and I have loved both these issues. This is from IDW Comics, and this is by story by John Leese, art by Ryan Lee. Ryan Lee is going to be a big name in comics. He has a unique style. Uh, the characters kind of have a bobblehead. There's like large bodies and, or large heads and small bodies. I like that. And each one of the characters has like a like a like a like a Mad Magazine kind of look to it. Like a like a heavy metal comic. Like a you know an a twenty uh, you know like two thousand AD kind of look to them. Each one of the the faces have an absolutely unique look, so that you never ever tell you like when you're reading a mountain head comic you're never confused as to whose this character is they are so uniquely designed and the the uh i do believe it was artist winner that mountain head issue number one was the art winner previously on a sunspots comic podcast um but man there's some surprisingly brutal murders in this and there's some huge panels of art in this by the way great splash pages but the quick premise is a young boy that uh was kidnapped uh, by this man that was teaching him to be a burglar and just live in, in, in this burglar lifestyle and live in this like, oh, we're against the system kind of way when he was kidnapped as a little child and, and raised to believe that this kidnapper was his father. And now uh, the father 
his, who he thought was his father, was caught. They were caught stealing, uh, you know, trying to burgle a house. And so, uh, you know, uh, they, they reunited him with his, his, you know, his actual family, his mother and father. And he has a sibling, like an adopted sibling. And so it's a lot of it is right now just him trying to uh, live in a regular world where he's used to like living in the street or living in someone's car or living in someone else's house. And, he, and he's like, you know, 12 years old, probably. And he's lived his whole life as long as he can remember. He was like kidnapped when he was like a baby or one or two years old. So he knows no other way to live. And now he's just thrown all these lavish, amazing things. And he's just it's just this fish out of water story. Everything has this twisted, alien, weird like look when he's living in this this Canadian town where everyone's really friendly and happy. And he just he doesn't know what to do with himself. And there also is this crazy like mountain head character that uh, looks like it was uh, a bit of that movie called Alive or maybe there was a plane that crashed high in the snowy mountains of Canada and some and this one man had to maybe eat everyone uh, involved to live or something and now he's just kind of turned into this crazy mountain man Bigfooty kind of thing and that's the guy coming down the mountain I think to cross paths with our young boy that is the you know trying to live in a normal uh, world that is Canada when he's used to living this uh, burglary kind of life. So that's Mountainhead. Cool premise, right? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. But there's some graphic, brutal murders in this. <laughs> like I said, you know, warning. <laughs> but Mountainhead, issue number two. Issue number one was a top Sunspots comic pick. So get it. Mountainhead. So much fun. Great premise. Okay, uh, next up, we're still in October 2nd. It was a good week. There's, I think this is the week where I had the most top picks of all the of n- whole nine weeks. But uh, next up is uh, is Space Bandits, issue number four. This is written by Mark Millar, and fantastic artist. Mark Millar is a, you know insane, top-notch writer. One of the best of our times. Paired with one of the best artists, Matteo Scalera. Who is, his art looks like nothing else. He does space and sci-fi like nothing you've ever seen. Such amazing detail. <coughs> Excuse me. He is just a wonderful, wonderful artist. And this is part of the Mark Miller project, Netflix project. Whereas um, all of these comics that Mark Millar puts out uh, will be a Netflix live action something. Either a movie or a TV show. So... Uh, this has been one of my favorites. I really hope uh, they do a something. They're, they're going to do something. You're going to do a movie or TV show. I just hope it's good. I hope it looks very much like this. Uh, quick premise. Space Bandits is there were two young women that were ultimately jilted. Uh, one woman was jilted by these group of bandits, so she wants revenge upon them. And the other girl was uh, was was uh, by her boyfriend. She was um, just brutally lied to and used for her uh, burglary skills and went to jail and found out that her boyfriend was just using her. So it's the partnership of these two characters that go on a revenge, a space revenge spree. That's what Space Bandits is. This was a previous uh, winner uh, on the Sunspots Comics podcast uh, in the the past uh, more than once. So this is top notch for art, uh, for writing skills, for pace. And this is like each one of these episodes, issues, uh, is like uh, they're sort of taking care of 
two or three of the of the bandits, usually just two of the bandits that uh, that uh, did wrong to one of our the female characters in this. But uh, the one that they go and chase here is in this this crazy sort of sex club that's uh, like nothing you could ever imagine. And uh, thankfully, it's a uh, not over the top uh, nudity and so on. Like uh, it's you know it's still very kind of crazy, but. He's uh, he's in this very unique, very galactic, strange sex club, and they've uh, they've got him you know, they've got him uh, this guy cornered, but he's uh, paying very well, and so people have uh, his back here, and so they have to infiltrate this uh, insane space sex club to find a way to kind of to murder, death, kill uh, this this main uh, space bandit that uh, that you know that that uh, went that went against our our main heroine here. So uh, there's some crazy, insane splash page violence in this. I love when the backgrounds are done in this weird red and purple, and when they cut through uh, sometimes humanoids, their blood their blood isn't red. It's like these are different humanoids from other galaxies and planets too. So Space Bandits is out there, but it's a it's a tale of revenge. It's a road trip. It's a buddy cop sort of thing where they have this moral code, uh, you know, that you don't double cross, you don't cheat, steal, and lie. Uh, to where it harms the innocent, and so they're on a revenge spree. And I love even when they meet the uh, ex-boyfriend that that, <laughs> that did some horrible lying to her, that she still sort of has feelings for him. And so it's 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 not like she's so just one-sided and hates him. She she kind of wants him back too. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, she's on this revenge spree. But anyway, space bandits. It's so much fun. There is a uh, a Lionel Richie spaceship. Yes. It's a, it just—it looks like Lionel Richie, and it's a spaceship. So <laughs> I'm in for that alone. Uh, you got to see that. But anyway, <laughs> Space Bandits issue number four. Get it from Image. Mark Millar, folks. <clears throat> it's going to be a Netflix something eventually. So very cool. Can't wait for that. Okay, we are still in uh, October second. This is the final one for October second. And it's Spider-Verse, issue number one. Yes, this is from Marvel Comics. And I do believe this is ensemble cast here of uh, creators because the art style changes. So it's that whole thing, you know, where it's like art uh, pages one through four by this person. Yeah, there's tons. The writer is Jed McKay. Uh, but this is Spider-Verse issue number one. But yeah, artists, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. There's eight artists on this. Nine. Nine artists uh, that are doing this. But... I completely dug this. It's so much fun. It definitely has the uh, Into the Spider-Verse vibe and feel to kind of keep that movie going, which I want more of. I can't get enough of Into the Spider-Verse, the film. So this tap dances on that like a mad person. So there's six issues of this. I'm all in. There are some new uh, Spider-Verse characters that are introduced here. (coughs) Excuse me. So uh, I'm all in for that. And this also has a moment here. I love this two-page uh, two-page splash where he sort of touches the web of life and sees the multiverse of the spider multiverse all at once. And if you look at that there's you've got, you know, Spider-Ham and so many others that are here like the SPDR, so many of the characters that we've seen and haven't seen in the Into the Spider-Verse uh, film. There's like a like a Clint Eastwood Spider-Man kind of a westerny Spider-Man guy in here. There's just so many that I I, I want to see individual stories of at one day. <coughs> Excuse me. 
as you can tell, I've been kind of battling a cold, so I apologize. But um, yeah, this has uh, maybe my favorite moment is when uh, Miles Morales is the is the primary character here, and he's popping in and out of the web of life, the webverse. And one uh, webverse that he pops into is Monster Hatton. This yeah, this is probably my favorite. And all the characters are kind of monsters. They're kind of dinosaur-y looking monsters. And there is a spider monster. And the design of it is so cool. The head looks like a giant kind of rhino. It's just, it's so very cool looking. And I love the way that that, that monster Hatton looks. Everything has kind of a giant uh, feel to it. And, and the edges of the building are all very different. It has this futuristic look, but... I want more of that. My second favorite is uh, Earth 10113519, where it's like a road warrior spider. <laughs> road spider? Road warrior spider? I'm not sure. But uh, he's, he definitely has that kind of Jason uh, Voorhees kind of mask uh, with the spider symbol on it. And all the characters are like these, all the X-Men are, are, are insane mutations. Uh, you know, of 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 the of different versions of the X Men that are chasing our Road Warrior Spider Man, Road Spider. <clears throat> I love it. I love the look of it. I want just an issue of that, uh, one shot or something. So I just love that there's multiple uh, you know universes that he pops into and has these little experiences. He's ultimately uh, trying to save the web of life. For some reason, it's going to crash. I think is what's happening, and he meets this other Spider Girl character. Well, I'm not sure if we've seen before, but uh, it's it's going to be up to Miles and her to try to save the day, but they need Annie Mae. And Annie Mae is the, uh, <clears throat> she's, I believe, she's the character that is uh, the uh, Aunt May. And Aunt May, uh, the, in this particular multiverse, Aunt May has the spider powers, <laughs> Peter doesn't. And she just wears like this, like this kind of Kango, like Samuel Jackson Kango hat. Or it's like a sort of French baker hat kind of thing that's red. And uh, I just love the look of it. I love that, you know, Grandma uh, Aunt May here is the, uh, she's the spider power in this universe. So I love it. And Uncle Ben's still alive. And and their little sidekick is Peter Parker, who's just the sort of brainiac of their little, their threesome, ultimately. So I love it. I love uh, Spider-Verse, issue number one. I'm all in. Can't wait to read number two, which will probably be next week. Or it's probably already out. Um, and I love at the end, the very, very end, uh, don't uh, leave until you've seen the end credits. There's like these uh, pages of different spider personas. And there's like the spinster. And just They do these fabulous like little one shots of various artists that are also doing uh, various uh, Spider-Verse characters that may or may not be something in the future. But very cool. Look at the Spider Requiem. It's kind of this, this uh, it's, like, it's like Jack Skellington meets uh, a ballerina sort of spider. Fantastic stuff. Love it. Spider-Verse, issue number one. Get it. It's worth the read. It's fun. If you loved uh, Into the Spider-Verse, the film, you're going to love this. Get it. So, that uh, actually ends October 2nd. So, now we're on to October 9th. And there's one, two, three, four on October 9th. So, the first in October, uh, the week of uh, New Comic Book Day, October 9th, is uh, The Batman's Grave, issue number one. And of course, Batman uh, is from uh, DC Comics. Batman, The Batman's Grave is what this is called. This is 12 issues. So bold that they lay it out as 12 issues in this miniseries, this uh, anti-continuity stand-on-its-own series here. This is written by Warren Ellis. So from that, I'm in with fantastic art from uh, Brian Hitch. Just grizzled, realistic chiseled such clean lines it's 
It's wonderful. As soon as I, I this when I see that there's another Batman title, I initially kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, another Batman title? Here we go. When I flipped through Brian Hitch's art, I went, oh, and then I said, oh yeah, Warren Ellis is writing this. So, uh, dream team here, guys. The opening sequence shows Alfred uh, cleaning up the gravesite, the Wayne's gravesite, and wave the Wayne's gra- and Bruce's headstones there. Maybe it's been there. I'm not sure. But at first you're thinking like, oh, is Bruce Wayne already dead? But it, no, it's just like it's there waiting for him. So that's something that's got to be interesting. That's something you think about in the early sequence of this. Like, wow, that's laying over his head. Like it's, you know, it's it's just there already. It's, you know, the morbid thought. But anyway, I love that this kind of focuses upon the detectiveness of Batman and uh, bringing forth some of the gadgetry. So it's, it's uh, I'm digging it. And it doesn't have this sort of, not to be overly negative, but the, the baggage of the Tom King series of Batman right now. And uh, and some of Tom King's stuff is fine, but uh, I liked the departure of that for a minute and kind of live in this, uh, this world not thinking about the Catwoman thing. And, you know, it's like 83 issues into Tom King's run. And I know that... Uh, that very soon, uh, Tom King stepping down very soon, or maybe has, but I, I think he might be done. But anyway, uh, you know, it's uh, this was refreshing. I loved the very dark, noiry kind of shadowy look of Batman here, and it's uh, it's an older suit. I love that, but he's investigating a murder, and it's a twisted, creepy murder, where uh, this 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 tenant in this building, who people knew as uh, being a troubled soul, had a. Uh, uh, a social worker that visited him so often and like they both go missing so they as batman breaks into the scene here the murder scene it's the it's the tenant there his deceased body that's just laying there uh, pristinely uh, in a suit but it's it's decaying and he has like a a, a, a shrined batman there and so now he's got to figure this out like was he murdered or is it was it a suicide like what is it he already leans toward maybe he was murdered so he has to kind of use some detective skills. I loved when he uses this. Uh, he kind of like scans the whole room, takes that scan back to the Batcave, and then sort of uh, Tony Starkish like, if you will, just re-images that room and walks through it. And he's talking out loud as to like how he can figure this out. And like um, people think this was a suicide, but there's there's some evidence here that he's finding that uh, it just it, it, it's chilling. This opening sequence of the gravestone got me immediately. Uh, the anatomy, you got to love the attention to detail on the physical anatomy here. That is Brian Hitch. The colors are just wonderful. It's how you see a Batman comic in your mind as to how it's colored. That's the best way to describe it. And it's a mystery. This is very bold, and it's got bad gadgets. And again, that emulator scan thing was fantastic for me because Tom King kind of seems like in the Batman series, all we get is punches in the face. Like, that's it. Just constant. This just seems like uh, it's it's the Batman uh, before Tom King. There was such a thing. Anyway, it was a refreshing departure. Detective-y, gadget-y, I'm in. 12 issues. Batman's Grave, issue number one. Get it. Fantastic team here, folks. Brian Hitch, Warren Ellis. Good, good stuff. All right. So next in the October 9th is Oliver, issue number four. Oliver has been a previous... Sunspots Comics pick of the week, I think twice. So this would be the third time out of four issues. So I've really enjoyed this. Maybe this is the second time of four issues, but it, is, it definitely has been a top pick of the week for me. And this is from Image Comics as well. And this is written by Gary Witta and art by Derek Robertson. 
And Derek Robertson, his art just seems to be getting better and better. This is also uh, a lot of attention to detail and physics and emotions on the faces. And to give you a quick uh, synopsis of Oliver, it does kind of have that uh, homage to the old Oliver show, or uh, story. But um, it's set in this uh, post-apocalyptic world where Oliver is kind of the chosen one. He's unique. He's There are these sort of clones that were created to fight the Third World War. And the clones were said they weren't able to sort of multiply. They were... They were genetically altered, but uh, like Jurassic Park movies, life finds a way. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's Oliver. But uh, I love that the uh, the that this this issue is kind of all action. You do have to read the other ones to know what the heck is going on here, because <laughs> this one is all just fighting. There is this seriously oppressive government entity that wants to wipe out the remainder of the clones. The clones are just trying to live in peace, and they have this uh, this Neo, the chosen one, Oliver, that can leap, uh, to leap high enough to to catch a helicopter, and that's fighting mostly with just a like a like a staff. I love that. He's super strong. He cuts his hair and it grows back in a day or two. <laughs> um, his his co- sort of complete powers aren't understood. But <clears throat> the remaining clones in this world are trying to live in solitude and just be left alone. But Oliver is that that rising up. He is the one that, that that's telling them that enough. You've you've been oppressed for long enough. You deserve to live. You are you are sentient beings that deserve your space in life and not to just be these slaves uh, for this extremely oppressive government. It seems like that's all that's left. There's not a lot of others here or humans. The humans are the government, and the clones are the ones that are living in the outskirts and just trying to be left alone, but they're being wiped out. That's Oliver. So, cool premise. Very dark. And there's some amazing rain elements in this. Like, I'm just surprised they keep the rain going. And there is kind of a reveal into this uh, one that I... I, Involving his mother, which I think is an interesting thread, and I think that's where the, the next few issues are going. There was some weird breaks between Oliver number one through four. It's taken like, I want to say, a year to do four issues, which is odd. So now you can just get them, uh, all four. Uh, because there's tons of action, not a ton of dialogue, and it's an interesting premise and a beautiful-looking post-apocalyptic world. There is a bionic Terminator dog in this. Yes, bionic Terminator dog in this issue. You gotta see it. Gotta, gotta see it. But uh, this is also kind of a, a new direction that this is going in. So you definitely gotta read the, the previous three issues of Oliver. Uh, get it from Image Comics. It is fantastic. Okay, and we're still on October 9th, so coming up next is Outer Darkness. This is issue number 11. And uh, I do believe that issue number 12 is going to be in this very countdown as well. It's a multiple winner here. Uh, cover, art, writing, top pick of the week. It's Outer Darkness has been a multiple pick, and it's only on 11 issues, 12 issues. So this is the start of a new arc. It's definitely a... Kind of five issue, you know, arc wrapping up kind of situation. So this is issue 11. I definitely recommend reading the previous one. This is like uh, Star Trek uh, meets um, Harry Potter. No, but like a a rated R Harry Potter. (laughs) There we go. Star Trek and Harry Potter together. So there are, maybe they're in purgatory. I just kind of thought of that um, in the last issue. But there is a, a kind of an evil captain 
that is going to the deep, uh, the deep recesses of space to, um, to, I don't remember what he necessarily is doing, but at this point, he's just being mutinous, and there are people in his crew that want to kill him, and as he's flying through the galaxy, they come across, like, demons, and so there's even part of what the ships are run by, the ships run on, like, a demon engine, and they have to feed it souls, so it's kind of all that, it's like exorcisms are done on the spaceship constantly, <laughs> that's outer darkness, that's the gist. But uh, this is uh, the primarily focuses upon this mutiny that was being done to this mutinous light captain, and also how there uh, he sets <laughs> he sets this party up for all the crew, all the red shirts. Like they're not red shirts though, like Star Trek red shirts. He sets up this this banquet for them, only to uh, rid of the uh, the crew that he feels are not worthy of of going forward with him uh, in this this mutinous takeover he wants to <clears throat> steal the ship that he was kind of paid to do he wants to like not do the jobs he's supposed to but just steal the ship that's kind of where he's going with this that's where the new sort of gist happens but how he how he deceives this crew <laughs> to, to one room is just it, it's shocking and uh <laughs> he's even like here are these um alien prostitutes for you like it's just like these sex priests here you go like it's just crazy and they lay out like a psychedelic like aphrodisiac uh, potion <laughs> to the group. It, it's like I said, it's it's sci-fi and, and fantasy blend together so perfectly with Star Trek being the element. I love the sequence where he's interviewing other other potential crew to go on his Star Trekian crazy adventures through space demons, uh, and he's just interviewing them. And there's these you know, people that are very qualified uh, to to travel through space and also handle exorcisms and spells and or uh you know how to work work the warp drive and the demon uh, engine and so on but the one that he leans most to is the one that has the ability to, to be a mixologist <laughs> he's a mathematician and then mixologist and he's like you're hired <laughs> so gives you an idea of kind of the uh <clears throat> the main character here uh as you know he's just this uh rough around the edges you know scoundrel if you, if you know what I'm saying. A little Star Wars, you know, a little Han Solo in him too. But a lot more mutinous. Anyway, Outer Darkness, issue number 11. Multiple Sunspots Comics Pick of the Week winner. Great, fantastic, solid art. You gotta get this. You gotta read it. Uh, if you love any of those things, Star Wars, Rated R, Harry Potter, etc. John Lehman wrote this, who is one of my favorite writers. He did Chew, uh, all 60 issues of Chew. And a fantastic artist named Afu Chan, who has this great, great crisp... Very Star Trek-y kind of look to his art. So if you love that, you're going to love Outer Darkness. Get it, get it, get it. Okay, and the last of uh, the new comic book day, October 9th, is also a previous Sunspots Comics top pick of the week and artist winner and cover artist winner. And it is These Savage Shores, issue number five. Gotta get it. Man, this is the epic final issue. Uh, I think final final, like this is over. And, uh, boy, this is a hard one to explain. It's from Vault Comics, and it's written by Ram V and illustrated by Sumit Kumar, who is, uh, who is seriously making a name for himself in art here. You have to see it. He has this very clean, painted style, and I love that a lot of the smoke in this is pink. I don't know why, uh, but I love it. But the way to describe this is, like, two warring Indian, uh, you know, factions like in India, uh, that are like royalty, and they're battling each other, 
And one of the uh, one side, the king or the maharaja, is a young boy who has a a demon that's that his is his protector, and he's kind of a vampire werewolf thing. Uh, he's I, I like the design of this main character. It's like nothing you've seen, and it's set like in the 1400s, I believe. You know, in that in that time period. It's very Victorian feel to it, and it's it's interesting in that there's a ton of like letters that are written to people here and how they communicate the story on old parchment, and so I love that. It, it really kind of immerses you into this, you know, Christopher Columbusy kind of time zone, Victorian time zone, and uh, and the main character who is this demon that is the right hand man to the Maharaja warring with this other Maharaja, but he's a young boy. He's sort of trying to, the, the evil demon is not being evil. He's trying to kind of raise this young man and to kind of like treat the world differently and treat mankind differently. And he's seen so much and he's so jaded by how long he's been alive that, you know, he just hopes that this young boy, the, the boy represents, you know, hope in the world. He kind of feels like everyone needs to die, but he sees hope in this young Maharaja to sort of change the small little world that he's in, and to and the fight that he's fighting is you know against kind of an they're painting the picture of at first they do that the other Maharaja is kind of evil, and uh, but maybe not they, it's complex. So there's even this love interest for the demon character that metamorphoses by the way. There's not always a demon. He is kind of like this purpley red horned devil demon kind of vampire thing. But he does turn into a regular man, and he, f- he kind of fell in love with the servant, and the servant uh, is turned into a vampire. And so that's uh, who the sort of villain of the story is, is this vampire that has taken the other Maharaja's side. So that's the that's the gist of uh, these Savage Shores. And I love it. The story is complex. Like I said, the a lot of the uh, narrative is told through parchment and these letters where someone is writing someone else. It can be a little... Uh, who is this letter going to at first to get to the end of the letter? <laughs> so you're just kind of like got to hang in there. But even the uh, the font style is done in these old Victorian, you know, on this parchment and this old uh, this old calligraphy style of art. It's it's beautiful. The whole thing is beautiful. Vault Comics, these Savage Shores. You got to read the whole thing. It's uh, it's got to be reprinted and collected. It's Vault's biggest hit, I would say. But uh, check it out. These Savage Shores, and this is the fifth. Of five, it says right here. So, uh, it's a pretty hard end too. I don't think. I think this is it. But um, get it. These savage shorts, so beautifully painted, from uh, Sumit Kumar. Okay, so that actually wraps up October 9th. That's all of them there. So moving on to the 16th, and the first uh, top pick on uh, New Comic Book Day, October 16th, is. Oh, there's only one. There's only one top pick for October 16th, and it's The Mask. I pledge allegiance to The Mask. Yes, The Mask Mask comic is back. And this is a whole lot different than the Jim Carrey movie. And uh, it's more towards how the original Mask comics were, which was horrifying. Um, Given that someone finds this mask and becomes kind of all-powerful, immortal, uh, invulnerable. So uh, what would that person do? That was the cool aspect of reading The Mask in the 80s was that you kind of like each series was different because it's a different person 
And so you get a deep dive into their personal psyche and their their uh, what motivates them. And, you know, are they good? Are they bad? Are they both? So it was always different. That's what I loved about the old mask stuff. And it was edgy. And this definitely is a return to form. Maybe I was kind of expecting a little bit of the Jim Carrey stuff, but no. I don't know why. I guess because maybe that's the last of... Mask comic I read was a mask thing I saw, but this is written by Christopher Cantwell and art by Patrick Reynolds. And it this doesn't even look like what you'd consider a mask comic to be like. And again, that must be just from my expectations of the movie, because um, that's the strongest sort of form of this in my brain right at the moment. But uh, this is from Dark Horse Comics, and I'm glad it's back. They have the the they've sat on the rights to this. We haven't seen a dark uh, a uh, mask comic in a while. But even the first panel, it's like, make America green again. And it shows the mask and his giant horse teeth and this giant green suit. So it's definitely playing a little bit upon, uh, you know, a metaphor to uh, our current, uh, current, you know, government, uh, you know, situation. <laughs> or, you know, so anyway, um, but this is, it shows this brutal, brutal opening sequence of this family under siege. And, uh, and and who comes to their rescue is the mask. And it, it, you quickly find here that this particular mask is a is a brutal, brutal murderer, ultimately. But it's a personal situation. I don't want to waste every... I don't want to spoil everything in, in this opening sequence. But when it comes to the, sa- the save the day here, it's like so justified. And you're like, yes. And so when you kind of see this over-the-top violence, you sort of go, yeah, they deserve that kind of thing. Um, in a, in a, in a sort of way, but then he goes too far. That's the mask. And he goes too far and you're like, Oh, I was rooting for you. And uh, you, you went there and really murdered people. So that, that's the, that's the sort of gist of this, the best way to describe it. Right. He's a hero that goes too far. You root to him to a point and then you're like, Ew. <clears throat> so anyway, then it sets up some other characters, some interesting characters There's a politician here. They sort of set up and the first mask character quickly ditches the mask. So it's like that we're already going to see a second mask character. And I don't want to spoil as to who it is or what that character is. I'll leave that one to surprise. But yeah, it kind of quickly makes this turn. So maybe we're going to get like two people with the mask uh, per issue. But this has a great cliffhanger too. So uh, yeah, where is this going? But uh, yeah, I got to see where this goes. Who the next mask is. Will the other guy that had the mask uh, that did this brutal murder come back? Uh, who knows? Well, are they going to fight for the mask? Uh, I mean, who has the who who does end up getting the mask here? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, very interesting character that they set up here, and there's this uh, again metaphor to our current political situation that's in this. So very kind of topical. But yeah, I'm definitely in. Want to read more? The second issue I do believe just came out. I haven't read it yet, but get it. Mask. Uh, the mask. I pledge allegiance to the mask. Issue number one. Get it. It's been a while. Been a while, Mask. Glad to have you back in this just rated R madness version of the Mask. Anyway, so now we're on to October 23rd, getting closer to the present. October 23rd. There was only one in the 16th. That's crazy. October 23rd, we have one, two, three. Only three. Okay. So next up is Ascender, issue number six. And this is from Image Comics. This is written by Jeff Lemire. So one of the best. In the business, one of the, the top-notch writers that's ever existed in comics, and drawn by Dustin Wynn. Dustin Wynn is a he's a watercolor uh, style artist. 
his art is is interesting and different and the color palette he uses is odd a lot of times there's just white backgrounds and things so it's like there's ocean sequences it's just white background and it's watercolored it's gorgeous but this is an offshoot of the descender series that's now just gone from sci-fi to fantasy so this is also blending of science fiction and fantasy but this is a a, a much more smaller story of a man running with his daughter trying to escape uh, the higher power government in this very insane fantastical world that in this particular one there's even like this space shark this flying space shark that's on this planet that's gorgeous that they they hitch a ride on kind of avatar feel like it's kind of going there but there are characters that are um, seen from the Descender series that that like tel, uh, Telsa, I always want to say Tesla, that Telsa is now this like ship captain and they need to uh, stow away aboard um, Telsa's ship and she's kind of going through a rough patch. She's uh, She likes the rum, you know, she's a pirate uh, captain. <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, they, they there's even like these sort of mermaid muses that are in the water around the ship. So I just love the fantasy and sci-fi blend that's here. But it's ultimately about this son trying to keep his daughter alive. And the main reason they are trying to keep, uh, they're being chased after is the uh, robot. The Tim 21's uh, robot had this little uh, kind of companion robot, like a dog robot. And that showed up in this series. It just it landed on their planet and came to them purposefully. And so <clears throat> these... Uh, this this old mother, like kind of uh, uh, the, the evil, you know, the 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 Voldemort in this series is kind of who she is, and she's called like the mother, the grandmother, or just mother. Uh, she is the one kind of running the 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 show, and she wants to find out what this robot is all about. Why is it gone to this family? And it is tied to sort of the apocalypse, and uh, and yeah, and and a creature from this the main character's past visits here again and it's just it's a it's a gripping moment you're like oh my gosh it's a shocking moment so ascender has been fantastic you got to look at dustin wins watercoloring and <clears throat> it, it's it's a very kind of cohesive story that are connected so you do have to read previous ascenders to kind of understand everything that's happening here but it's a very action-packed very fast pacing moving they're running trying to stay alive and it's the daughter the young uh, daughter six or seven years old and her father, uh, their relationship, and how he's constantly kind of teaching her and training her and keeping her alive here. So it's uh, you're you're invested, and it's tense because you want them to stay alive, and you care for both these characters um, because uh, they're they're interesting and they love each other, and it's heartwarming. So, yeah, Ascender, get it. Issue number six, it's fantastic. It's just it's it, it may be off to being better than Descender for me, but I you know hard to say. We're only six issues in, but anyway. Uh, so we're still on October 23rd. The second of three is another new number one. And this is Count Crowley. Crowley. <laughs> Count Crowley. And this is uh, from... Here we go. It's Dark Horse Comics. This is issue number one of four. Brand new number one. And this is Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. And this was so much fun. I absolutely enjoyed this. The second issue, I think, just came out. And is written by David Dastmalchian. I apologize if that's wrong. I'm a fan of his. He's also an actor, and uh, he's in stuff like Ant-Man. Just comes into my head. Um, but this is art by Lucas Kettner, and I love the look of this. Right off the bat, from the opening sequence, uh, even uh, the opening sort of page, 
uh, where they have the it, it's it's like a, an old timey horror film, kind of a B horror film poster that is the credits page. I love it, and it's just like scream time, and there's like this reflection in the blood, but it's black and white, and then the credits on the bottom are just like like a B horror film. Even the sort of the paper is sort of folded. It has that kind of effect, like it's a it's a poster that's been folded up and unfolded, and I love that. Sets a perfect tone. You're like, you know what you're getting into. It's a bee-like horror film that's about to happen right before our very eyes. And the art is fantastic on this. It's just, it's crisp, it's clean. It's set in the early 80s, so completely relatable in that regard to us old-timey people. <laughs> but uh, this character right off the bat is is kind of like an, uh, like an Elvira kind of character. But it's, it's kind of like her origin story at first. She's kind of down on her luck. She's trying to be like a, le- a legitimate journalist and on television. But she sort of gets thrown into this this spot from, I believe, her brother. Who like just needs a human to be in this thing. And it, she kind of takes off from there when she's trying to be in like a you know legitimate uh, you know journalist. But um, I love that they're in this very kind of messed up <laughs> carnival uh, at the beginning kind of opening sequence. And uh, it's 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 like a it's like carnies to level ten. It's just like it's 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 cheesy. It's over the top. They're doing some uh, some dastardly stuff here, and our main character Jerry is like chugging uh, value wine out of a, out of boxes in the back before she goes like live on TV. So yes, she wants to be a legitimate journalist, but she's got some alcohol issues <laughs> and her approach to how she. Uh, wants to rise to glory in the area of uh, being a uh, a journalist is not you know she's not, not so perfectly guided so I like that she's you know she's flawed she's an interesting character she has dimension and uh, and then she's you know thrown into the Count uh, Crowley character and that has an interesting sort of twist when she's like Count Crowley for five minutes and uh, and that's where it kind of takes this interesting turn that I don't want to completely spoil I want uh, people to read this uh, for sure. Does it take a supernatural turn? Maybe. Uh, does it just go into this interesting sort of life of a woman that's kind of a an Elvira-like TV phenomenon? Maybe. Maybe both. But uh, I, I love the look of it. I love the feel of it. I love the uh, the mail order macabre uh, at the where they're selling masks at the end. It's an old-timey comic book uh, ad that's at the end. I believe it just looks like it's just kind of cut right out of a 60s comics with the yellowing paper and everything. But uh, there's even like this... Uh, this Friar Fear that is kind of the narrator of this at the end. I'm all in. It's it's. I want to keep Halloween going, and this is the perfect way to do it. <laughs> so uh, go and get this immediately. Go to your local comic book shops. Tell them you want Count Crowley, issue number one. Uh, it's worth the read. It's worth the reread. I'm absolutely hooked and uh, a fan uh, of David uh, Dest Malchian. Dest Malchian? Like that, maybe. Anyway, Count Crowley. Get it. Issue number one of four from Dark Horse Comics. Okay. Next up is the final one. The, la- the third of three of my top picks from October 23rd. It's Middle West, issue number 12. Now, Middle West has been a multiple Sunspots Comics podcast top pick of the week. It's been an art winner. It's been just a top pick of the week. It's been in the top five. It's that good, and we're only on uh, 11, no, 12 issues of Middle West. This is uh, written by Scotty Young and art by Jorge Corona, one of the most fantastic artists in our era, and colorist Jean-Francois Bellieu. And colors, amazing. This thing just has this kind of saga-like coloring in it, but a lot more detailed. 
That's Jorge Corona, too. His art's fantastic. This is the story of a young boy who has the power of a tornado within him. When he gets angry, he tornado rages. And his sidekick is a talking fox. And this world, it's a fantastically designed world. Where there's hobos and junkies and there's, uh, there's carnies and carnivals. Uh, that are all in this kind of futuristic-ish setting uh, where everything is uh, fueled by this strange pink fluid. I love that it's everywhere, from uh, rocket cars to to the sides of buildings to air conditioning units to powering lights to everything. It's just a little design element. And uh, I just love the sort of steampunky robots that are in this. So and if any of that is hitting any hot buttons for you, uh, trust me, read Middle West. But he's had a hard uh, time with staying with the carnival group. And that, that part of his life's moved on. And he's on this long, epic journey uh, previously to find his grandfather, who is a, a snow tornado, who is a, like a, you know, an avalanche tornado person that has that within him. And that didn't go so well. So now he's on this new arc to try to find where he fits in this world. Because the carnival life didn't work out with those people. And the grandfather thing was a bust. So where does he go? That, that's kind of where this is heading. He wants to kind of find his own way. And what he finds is kind of very Pinocchio-like in this. And this uh, group that ends up kidnapping him and wanting to go to, like, you know, Fun Island. But uh, what is Fun Island? We don't know. We only get just a little sample of it. We do finally kind of see what this pink gelatinous fluid is that runs everything. This, you know, this... Uh, this fuel and, and maybe where where it came from but uh i like where middle west is going it's definitely uh, on its third ish arc yeah like five ten, the starting of a third arc so i definitely recommend reading the other 11 issues it's just the the painted style of it alone a lot of panels where he just spends like moments where you see this epic landscape to really set up this interesting kind of slightly in the future world even where there's just this fox, it's very cartoony-like style of art, by the way. Uh, unlike a lot of the other comics I've just gone over. It's very cartoony, very brightly lit and colorful. And uh, moments where the fox is just kind of walking across this prairie and, and this farmland. And it just looks wonderful. And there's there's strange creatures in it. And like I said, steampunky robots and weird carnies and people that have uh, tornadoes of rage. The young boy is living on the road because he's running away from home running away from his his dad who has who's also a tornado rage beast <clears throat> and these, these are always bonus issues too a lot of sketches in the back a lot of design uh you know set up and even little sometimes little patches of the the script so i love that each one of them is like a director's cut that's middle west so issue number 12 get it one of scotty young's best and he is one of the best and you got to see Jorge Corona's art. It's just, like I said, multiple Sunspots comics pick for art winner. Uh, multiple. So anyway, get Middle West. So that closes uh, October 23rd. Now we're moving on to October 30th. October 30th is my sister's birthday, by the way. So that was kind of cool. So October 30th, we got a bunch. There's one, two, three, four, five in October 30th. So the first one is Chrononauts. Chrononauts Future Shock, issue one through four. So this is kind of different in that Image Comics released Chrononauts Future Shock, all four single issues at once. So that's different. 
like they didn't come out with a trade collection of four dish four issues they came out with all four single issues on the same day on the october 30th new comic book day so this is written by mark millar so again it's one of those netflix um projects where this will be something uh drawn by eric canetti and eric canetti is a new artist uh this is the sort of second volume of chrononauts the first one was done uh by sean gordon which is amazing. He's doing the uh, DC Comics, um, the Batman White Knight right now. So, But this is Eric Canetti, new artist, new look to the Chrononauts feel, but Mark Millar writing it. And I, I love this for so many aspects of just what Chrononauts Future Shock is. It's it's Back to the Future. It's a, it's a buddy flick. It's, it's Bill and Ted's. They're definitely just two dudes. Like their spaceship that they design in this is in the shape of a guitar. Like, it, like it actually, and then one of them's like kind of the, the scientific genius. They're like, why did you make the spaceship look like a guitar? And he's like, because it's cool. So there's definitely bits of like Bill and Ted in this, mixed with Back to the Future and time travelly fun. And there, one aspect of it is one of the main characters, one of the dudes, time traveling dudes in this, is sort of they have this sort of rule to not change things in their own personal life to better themselves. They can change other things. And they visit, like, historical figures in this, in Chrononauts. And uh, and go to, you know, Roman time and, and, and all these different sort of times. And they see Michelangelo, and to name a few. And, yeah, it's very <laughs> it's very Bill and Ted, the more it's going on here. Uh, I'm, I'm realizing why. I love it. <clears throat> but, yeah, it, it goes to that, um, it, it teases that sort of Marvel versus Back to the Future time travel aspect. Can you change your own future? Will that just become your past? Like the Hulk said, which is confusing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, or does everything back to the future-y? Every little s- small ripple will change, uh, you know, everything. The, you know, the very fabric of time. <laughs> you know, so it, it teases upon that line here. Because there's a personal thing that happened to the, one of the characters that, you know, he chooses not to touch... And so that constantly kind of comes up in question. And will that be something he visits again? Will he will he break their own rule? That's kind of what the, the aspect of this is. And they're attempting to go into the future where I guess they've only gone into the past before. So they want to skip ahead, but they run into some snags here, end up in multiple places in the past. They end up split up, and they have to just kind of use their wits and their dudeness to get out of these sort of sticky situations. Chrononauts... Future Shock is just a ton of fun, time travely, space adventure kind of stuff. That's what it's about. So if any of that's hitting those hot buttons, get, get, get. Chrononauts, Future Shock. So that actually counts as four top picks because all four of them are great. Some great splash pages, some amazing humor, some amazing sort of fun and just out there moments where they're traveling to places. and And also this heartwarming moment, very kind of reminiscent of... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and how Star-Lord, Star-Lord's relationship with the mom. It's very much kind of in that here. Um, I, I feel like I've said a little too much. But get, 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 get. Chrononauts Future Shock Issue 1 through 4. That's it. They all came out at the same time on October 30th. So weird, but different. I wonder how that sold. I wonder if that's a new marketing style, if they're going to kind of roll with that or what happened. But uh, they didn't explain <clears throat> in any of the back matter or anything like that. Okay. 
Next up is Ether, issue number two. This is, yes, the countdown had issue number one, so this is this issue number two. Made the countdown as well. So uh, that's awesome. Uh, two issues of a comic are on my top pick list, and I'll explain why. That's written by Matt Kent and art by David Rubin. This is uh, Dark Horse Comics. <clears throat> this is The Disappearance of Violet Bell, issue number two. Violet Bell is the character that our main character, Professor Boone, has to go and save. And there are seven, seven sort of demon-like fantasy monster gods that he has to sort of come in contact in, in, with in this journey. But the opening sequence, the way that the background is drawn when these orange lines, orange and red lines, and the lettering and of action lettering is like this lime green. It's colors that have no business kind of going together, but look amazing in this. It's just like this exploding, like... If you took a, I don't know, if you shot paint guns at a pumpkin and, it, and the pumpkin exploded, that's kind of what this reminds me of. It's uh, it's just out there with dark reds and oranges and light greens. And Boone is fighting this, uh, this shark-like, snake-like creature that looks amazing. The design is crazy. It's like a cobra head sort of thing. The legs are like robotic. And there's these zoom-up bubbles that I love. I love these zoom-up bubbles because the back action... Is a little in the you know in the sort of background, and it's drawn in a small way. And this this opening sequence has this amazing double, two double page splashes, so four pages in the opening sequence, just fantastic. And it's just the fight sequence. And so because that fight sequence is so far away, some of the little little um, subtle action sword play action here in this fight, they do these kind of look like they're microscopic bubbles that do these zoom ins of sort of small little details that we may have missed because the action's so far away. That's the best way to describe it. You gotta look at it. It's like these, it's like they're looking through this fight in a microscope. It's like they're fighting, uh, you know, they're, they're microscopic creatures fighting and someone's looking through it, you know, through a microscope is our sort of visual reference. But you gotta see that. It's like nothing I've seen. I love that. It goes on for, like I said, four pages and this fight is just, is just excellent and brutal. And Boone has to use science to sort of, to sort of fight this fantasy, this magical sort of realm. And he's found little, little quirky ways, little things to use, uh, you know, in, in a steampunky kind of way, uh, gadgets that that will um, deflect a lot of the sort of magic that happens in this crazy fantasy realm. And his buddy is with him, this this large sort of gorilla-like creature that traveled with him in the first volume. And they're buddies, but they're snarky to each other. And I love that. They're back and forth. And there is this... Uh, boy, what's the best way to describe this? Because this art is so out there and so unique. But uh, there is this... Well, it's like... It reminds me of like like Captain Crunch is the best way to describe it. There's this, this pirate group. And it, the pirate group, they're aliens and such. But they look like characters from like the Captain Crunch serial. Is the, is the best way I can describe them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I just love the look of them. I, lo I love the design, and there's so many like this this green sea that they're that they're floating upon is excellent. It's just beautiful, <clears throat> and it's <clears throat> excuse me. And can Boone use science to fix these magical mistakes? These magical things that are happening and even these like on this weird ship of the captain crunch aliens that they join they're so cartoony it even changes art style this doesn't really have a cartoony type look until you see everyone on this weird pirate ship floating across this green sea and there's these even these birds that are in the docks here that are all floating on these weird bones 
that are just like farting everywhere. <laughs> and it's like the methane gas, green methane gas is coming out of these birds. And the ocean is green that matches the methane coming out of the birds. It's all out there. And I love that. It's it's, But it's not too out there to where you kind of don't understand what's happening. Boone has a very a simple mission, which is to, you know, he one of those seven demon monster beasts has his friend, uh, the, the, the one that's disappeared, Violet Bell. And he's off to save her. But they're going to go across some hijinks and some strange... But you got to look at it. David Rubin's art is uh is so inspiring it's so gorgeous it's so full of color it's it's how uh, whenever i see his stuff i just i, I want to read it and read it and read it i have this uh thing in my in my desk right now done by david rubin that i haven't even read that i can't wait to read but it's a hardcover that i'm having trouble even opening my desk right now to read you the name of it but it's in here um anyway i'll get to it later but <laughs> um ether issue number two Get it. It's it's beautiful. Um, Captain Crunch Pirates, science, fixing magic, <laughs> and, and some of the best art you'll ever see in your life. Trust me. Issue number two of Ether. Okay. Uh, next up is uh, another one that is a constant winner. Uh, anything that Terry Moore does is uh, always considered, for me, is top-notch work. And this is uh, Five Years, issue number five. And uh, this is the Terry Moore verse. This is the gathering of all of Terry Moore's uh, uniquely interesting, complicated, complex, beautiful characters that he's created over the years. Gathering them together in his um, private publishing company called Abstract Studio. And Five Years is about the end of the world happening in five years from this Phi Bomb that was designed from a very, very old... Uh, uh, you know, scroll that had this uh, formula on how to create a bomb that could destroy the planet. That'll set off a, a chain reaction. And so all the characters of Terry Moore's world have to all come together to try to save the world in five years. And so uh, the, the main characters are the Strangers in Paradise characters that I love. Uh, and so they're the sort of main characters here. And at this point, <clears throat> we get to see uh, this uh, characters from the Rachel Rising series. This young woman that I believe is possessed by a demon who has decided to live on Earth and try to be a good person. She's hot on the trail in Russia with Rachel Rising trying to find uh, like a like a data disk of some information that might lead them to an area that can help them prevent the end of the world. And so this young child possessed by demon has to literally uh, fight grown people. And there's a sequence where she's planning out how to kill someone and yet it's all in her mind so she's kind of going through it over and over like practicing in this elevator like how she has to kill someone like it's crazy that this is happening from a little girl but has the is kind of possessed by this this monster demon and rachel um luckily found uh, a, a, someone to help her because uh you thought she was killed she was stabbed in her uh, in the, her thigh uh, vein was that the the artery in her leg uh, that she kind of bled out. Does she have regular blood? I don't know. This is a black and white comic. But she uh, she sort of was explained her situation to a coroner, luckily. And they're going to kind of fake her death. And uh, let her do her resurrecting thing that Rachel Rising does. And that's kind of the, the core element of this comic. We do get uh, back to um, this sequence with a, a dirty senator. A senator that has to do with the end of the world. And how you believe that they might torture him at first, but they're not in for this to torture him. 
he's there. He's they're there to make sure that he pays penance for what he did. And so that's just it's a brutal sequence of how you thought. Oh, I thought they were going to get information out of this senator. And this is the uh, this is Kachu's uh, sister, who is this amazing designed character. And uh, I think her name I think her name was Tambi. I just forget her name. But she's like an Amazon woman. She's like the Punisher. Uh, she's a woman version of Punisher. She gets it done. She doesn't believe in uh, letting people live. She'll end you. And she uh, goes to this senator and does not torture him for information. It's about penance. So I just love where this is going. This is slowly piecing together. I don't know how many issues this is going to be. But this is one of those comics that I don't want to end. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, Terry Moore's stories do have a hard ending, which is great. But this is the first time that he's got all of his characters together into one universe. There's always a, a like a poem at the beginning, and I'm always looking for where that poem will tie in tie into the to Terry Moore's comics, and they usually do, in one way or another. Or they're just a kind of beautiful haiku or something of that nature. So you gotta love that. He puts a little something extra into the very very beginning of every issue of five, and he does he does sketches at the end of five years too, just little random sketches of his characters over the years. So you gotta love that. These are characters that you adore. Yes, there's a lot of reading to do in the Terry Moore verse, but um, jump in here if you if you really want to give it a shot, and maybe it'll just inspire you to go back and read the other stuff. I, I believe it will, because I love the other stuff, and it's inspiring me to read all of the old Terry Moore stuff. So do it. Uh, that's five years issue number five. It's a multiple number one pick. Multiple. It once was an art winner pick. It's a black and white comic, simplistic kind of cartooning style. But emotions, the way that Terry Moore does emotions are, are just absolutely fantastic, beautiful, detailed, and will they'll they'll grab and get you'll get the feels, you'll it'll tag the, the heartstring, tug on them for sure. Uh, that's that's Terry Moore's uh, super pack. So definitely check that out. So five years, issue number five, top notch, get it, get it, get it. Alright, next up is uh, Pink Lemonade, issue number one. So this is a new number one. It's an indie comic publisher, an indie comic publishing company. Uh, Pink Lemonade number one is uh, created by Nick Canetti. And I, I think their publishing house is, I think it's just Pink Lemonade Comics. They don't have like a, uh, like that I saw. Anyway. I will send an early copy of this. Thank you so much, Nick Canetti, for sending it to me. I really enjoyed reading it. This is phenomenal. I'm going to, I promise you, Nick, I promised you I wouldn't just spoil the whole thing. Uh, conceptually wise, <clears throat> um, this has a just a, such a throwback feel. It has also like this uh, Mike Allred look. Check him out. Mike and his wife, they do Silver Surfer quite often. They've just got this throwback uh kind of Jack Kirby look and feel. This has this as well. Pink Lemonade. And her main character, her, uh, you know, quantum leapish kind of memory is a little Swiss cheese. And she is wearing this kind of very hip, very cool um, motorcycle outfit and kind of a large bobblehead-y kind of uh, motorcycle helmet. And her moped is very kind of throwbacky, motor moped slash motorcycle. And she just knows that she kind of wants to do good, but... She's not sure where she is, and she definitely, like, hardly remember even, like, who she is. And she stumbles across this lovely family, <clears throat> this single mom and her and her little daughter, like, six-year-old daughter. And they just kind of get a good vibe from Pink Lemonade, get a good feel, feel like she's harmless but needs help. And so they take her in, and they bring her into her home. And this family, they're, a, they're fans of this 
cartoon series commercial thing, a comic book called, uh, what is it, Fightbot or OJ Bot? Yeah, OJ Bot. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was guessing. I thought that's what it was. And and they're super fans of OJ Bot. And they have like a little shrine to OJ Bot. Like much like, you know, all of us nerd offices, nerd realms um, have, uh, you know, action figures and comics and so on. I've got that. It's it's literally surrounding me. And they've got that with OJ Bot <clears throat> in their nerd cave. And so Pink Lemonade kind of loves that. And it's it's got this archy feel to it as well. That's that's something I like about it. It's just kind of clean, wholesome, fun. Kind of all, all ages uh, can enjoy this. And uh, she even like stumbles upon this movie set. And she just doesn't understand even what a movie is. So her memory is totally just whack. And uh, But I love the relationship between the single mom and the daughter. And how they're super fans of this. And they take Pink Lemonade in. They have some dinner. And they read some comics. They watch the... the OJ Bot cartoon. It just has this nostalgic feel. And again, this Kirby-like uh, art. I do believe uh, Nick Kennedy did everything on this. Yeah, it's just got his name. Um, so, full credit to you, Nick. A fantastic job. I love the OJ Bot, uh, bot look. And uh, orange juice pretzels? Yeah, I'd love to try that. They look like combos. But uh, I'm in. But Pink Lemonade, issue number one. Get it. Not sure exactly what publishing house, but Nick Kennedy. Look up Pink Lemonade. There, he's on everything. On all the social media, etc. Pink Lemonade, issue number one. Great stuff. Can't wait to read more. Uh, next up, still again from October 30th, is Silver Surfer Black, issue number five. And Silver Surfer Black has been fantastic. Uh, it is a previous winner. Uh, it's only five issues, and I do believe twice at least. It's uh, been a Sunspots Comics podcast top pick of the week art winner because it's one of my favorite artists of all time, Trad Moore. And written by Donnie Cates, fantastic writer who's just like, he's the hot writer right now, right? Donnie Cates. Uh, so Marvel Comics, Silver Surfer Black, issue number five. I believe this is the final issue? Or was it number six that was the final issue? Um, no, this is the final issue. This is five of five of this miniseries. Talk about Jack Kirby-esque. All of this. Trad Moore, 100%. Um, harnessed some Jack Kirby here. And just harnessed himself, Trad Moore is this fantastic artist. The opening page is like a Salvador Dali, Jim Kirby-like, just beautiful, like, just panoramic splash page of art of the Silver Surfer. And it's just got this, like I said, the Salvador Dali where you're not sure where the gravity up is down. And these sort of slices of color that's mixed into the Silver Surfer on his board. Um... It's it's a it's a wonderful work of art. It has like a almost like a like a Jackson Pollock sort of feel to it, with splattering like bubble effect to it and such. It's wonderful. Trad Moore, a serious, fantastic artist. You got to look at this just for that. And there's these times where he does this thing where it's very kind of psychedelic, where Silver Surfer is like over. He's like walking over you. Like the perspective is you are lying down on the ground with your camera pointing up and the Silver Surfer steps over you. He's done that a few times in this and it's a very twisted kind of weird thing. Now this does get a little cosmic-y and a little Jack Kirby and a little kind of out there but it's but you can you can follow it. There is this uh, Null character that is the father, mother, creator of all symbiotes, Venom and the like. Um, and he is the main villain in this, and there was Ego, the living planet, uh, that he had to partner with at one point to help him fight uh, this Null, but this is the big throwdown. Uh, Null is flying on top of a, like a dragon 
tiger monster. That is awesome. That is just drawn so Tradmore like. With all of these sort of segments, these cylinders, these like centipede like sections of this dragon. It's like there's so many times in this you'll go, oh, man, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Like, what am I looking at? This is insane. There's two page splashes in this that are this cosmic battle out in space where it seems like stars are exploding. Null is firing all kinds of strange symbiote-like tendrils at him into shapes of things. Silver Surfer is zipping around and, and you know flying around the cosmos, around stars, gaining, gaining up s speed to use his cosmic blast uh, towards Null. It, it's just this epic, epic cosmic showdown between two major characters here. And even the Silver Surfer, there are stakes. His body is turning black, like he is losing his silver essence and his cosmic power. Uh, because I guess him and uh, Galactus aren't uh, buddies anymore, where he can be replenished, etc., or whatever. It's cosmic-y, it doesn't make sense, but who cares? Um, and it just, uh, where this goes uh, feels like this should cross over into continuity for Silver Surfer. This, you know, it probably doesn't. All right, let's be honest. It's Marvel. But uh, <laughs> I just feel like where this leaves the character is phenomenal. And it, and it's, it changes the character, I believe, um, in a way that is interesting. <clears throat> that is also design-wise unique. He's kind of black now, but reflective um, in a way. The, the, the body parts of him that have been injured. Um, yeah. It, it, does he replenish? You're not quite sure. But this is just a knock down drag out cosmic battle like you've never seen beautifully painted by Tradmore and even the final page the first page and the final page I just want as posters I want a mural of them it's you just got to see it for that alone it's gorgeous Tradmore art silver surfer issue number five get it immediately love it reread it and enjoy it it's fantastic okay coming up next uh, is the final of October 30th and it's another independent comic book and comic book publishing house. It's from Scout Comics. It's Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, issue number one. This is written by Brenton Langell and art by Hiowando Park. So sorry if I mispronounced that. But this is the kind of what if, kind of fables, kind of, uh, you know, taking a Disney story, flipping it on its head of uh, what happened to sort of uh, Snow White and some of the... Uh, characters, uh, you know, the the in that sort of realm. Um, if zombies were mixed into the into the thing here, and the opening sequence is this fantastic fight scene, not with a zombie, but like kind of this were beast, and uh, we're introduced to the two main characters, which are Prince Charming, and uh, and Snow White, and also this other character, who's this female character. I I, I forgot if who she is, if she's Rapunzel, maybe, but. Anyway, uh, you know, it, it, she is the uh, she's she has this amazing fight ability, fighting ability. They've lived in this kind of monstrous zombie world for a long time. That is Prince Charming, and they come across Snow White who's sleeping. <laughs> and uh, there's so much humor in this. One of the funny parts I had seriously laughed out loud was when uh, Prince Charming uh, charms all women, and yet him and Rapunzel are supposed to be together. But he kind of like has eyes for every anyone, and when another woman is there, he kind of falls in love with them, and they fall in love with him, and so she's constantly battling with them. It's like this weird millennial thing that is happening, and Snow White awakens, and and it's just like her reaction to Snow White, like Snow White is like, "Oh, you're Prince Charming, I will marry you now. You're my prince," and and Rapunzel's like, "Really? Are you serious? Oh my god! Like again, really?" 
And like, would you leave that zombie woman alone? The one woman that's risen from the dead. <laughs> she was sleeping. You know, I just gave her the, the love kiss of life. Like what? Step away from the corpse. You know, like how she references Snow White is just hilarious. So there's so much kind of humor written into it. Some great, disgusting art <laughs> in this, which is just so well done. Uh, it's it's got some great action sequences here of Rapunzel and this were demon wolf vampire kind of monster and uh i don't think we've seen zombies yet but a matter of fact in this particular issue so more to come but yeah i love the relationship the humor between prince charming rapunzel and snow white it's it's you know talk about your sexual tension between you know the three of them it's it's all there and palpable and uh, a lot of jealousy and a lot of interesting weird uh, scenarios with trying to stay alive in this weird kind of world where we're gonna see some zombies and it's you know it's very gruesome by the way very bloody gory but snow white zombie apocalypse get it immediately great stuff support this scout comics uh it's issue number one i can't wait to read issue number two thank you brenton lengel for a great concept and just i had a ton of fun with it and was just totally happy and reread it and uh i'm gonna reach out to you maybe have you as a guest on the podcast that would be fun talk to you about some of this stuff and have some chuckles all right so next up in uh, oh that's the end of October 23rd so now we're or October 30th so now we're moving on to November 6th <clears throat> and the first one on the list here is Crone number one Crone number one and this is uh, from uh, it's coming up here Crone is uh, from Dark Horse Comics and it's uh, written by uh, Dennis Culver artist Justin Greenwood <clears throat> and man I really dug this conceptually it's like a it's like Aunt May it's like an old uh, grandmother here. That uh, is, um, again, trying to live in solitude, live her own life. Uh, she's kind of like a, a Conan character that wants to just be alone and live alone and live in solitude. But she's pulled right back in and, uh, and needed to fight uh, something. She's needed for like a like to fight in this battle or something. And she just doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Oh, but it's, uh, it's an old foe of hers that's risen again. And so they want her back to help because she thought she killed this foe. The, co the foe is not dead. It's this evil sort of Viking marauder kind of thing. She's very kind of uh, kind of Red Sonia, a character, when they do these flashbacks to her. But it's said in where now she's like, you know, Aunt May. She's like this grandmother character, but she can still fight. She's still a badass. It has that, again, that element that I like of a reluctant sort of retired war hero but that's thrown back in and there's a great action sequence in the middle of this with a giant grizzly bear and the uh the uh, the crone proves her worthiness and her ability to fight so just very very cool crone issue number one and coming up next is uh grendel devil's odyssey issue number two so yes i did have grendel devil's odyssey issue number one just earlier on this very countdown so this is the second time Two issues, two top picks. That doesn't happen very often. So Dark Horse Comics, issue number two of eight, Grendel, Devil's Odyssey. And this is another planet that our Grendel character is on to try to spread the seed of the last humans that are left. Uh, flying his very <laughs> phallic-y space rocket through space as he penetrates <laughs> uh, planets to find um, a place to uh, inhabit uh, the final uh, resting place, or the, to grow, hum to start a human farm, and uh, let the human race live. And I love that he comes across this alien, these aliens here, that are kind of like no alien we've seen in a while. It's kind of these spider, um, ant 
kind of creatures, very kind of uh, you know Native American kind of feeling, and they live on this planet. He's trying to figure out if it's inhabitable, and they go very deep into describing the the ins and outs of the small things that this that the the, the this alien race does like culturally and does um, with how they mate and how they live day to day. So he like kind of lives with the Indians. It kind of reminds me of the uh, of the. Um, uh, you know the uh, dances with wolves like how he's observing out on the outside for a long time and then kind of embraces it and sort of becomes one of the tribe etc but then the hard question is does he uh, they're potentially wipe out a lot of them by taking over this planet and inhabiting humans but they get down to this fight because even these aliens don't communicate in a way that makes a lot of sense they they are very kind of uh, they're they're anchored to their their way of life and it's just this culture shock for Grendel. He doesn't quite understand why they do a lot of things, but it's just their culture. And so, yeah, it's just a definite metaphor of a lot of things here and about uh, invading uh, other places and you know the Native Americans, uh, uh, you know the the all of that. It's it's in there, and I, I dig this Grendel's Devil's Odyssey issue number two. And uh, again, it's Blade Runnery, and it has this crow and venom like uh, design to the Grendel character. And he's a, a robot-ish kind of thing. And he travels with this C-3PO drone that flies around with him that's constantly busting his balls. So that's Grendel Devil's Odyssey issue number two. It's from Matt Wagner. He uh, created it and wrote it and draws it. Uh, Matt Wagner. Uh, love it. Love it. Love it. Grendel's Devil's Odyssey. Get it. That's issue number two. Also on the countdown here. Okay. Uh, next on the November 6th week is the third and final. It's Lock and Key Dog Days. Now, Lock and Key is uh, one of my favorite, one of the two of my favorite horror comic books of all time. It really comes down to Harrow County and Lock and Key. And this is a standalone, single issue, Lock and Key um, Dog Days. And it. It's uh, drawn, uh, written by Joe Hill and art by Gabriel Rodriguez. So he, those are the two that did all the issues of Lock and Key. They've stuck together uh, through it all. Even uh, Gabriel Rodriguez has given storyteller nod, which is great, deservedly so. But this is the story of these two young boys. It's it's kind of like little rascals, and it has this Rockwell, like Norman Rockwell feel and look to it. Opening sequence is the, is three young boys fishing in a river with these salmon in the river. You can see their reflection in the water. It's beautiful. Gabriel Rodriguez is one of my favorite artists of all time. That's why Lock and Key is so amazing. But two of the kids is kind of like Archie, you know, and kind of like Alfalfa. And one of the kids is just kind of, he's kind of dopey. And <laughs> he's like, uh, he's put, instead of using his fishing pole, he's putting his face in the water and, and trying to catch fish with his mouth and, He's uh, everything. Every time the kids talk about kind of doing something or that they saw a car, because it seems like it's kind of set in the like the forties or thirties, and uh, and and the and the young dopey kid <coughs> always wants to chase the car, and <laughs> he talks about you know how he wonders what a butthole smells like, <laughs> and he's just you know he's like this he's like an odd little puppy, and you're just going through this story realizing, hello, it's a lock and key series, and it, the the cover of it kind of spoils it in that regard that there's a dog chasing one of the special keys that in the lock and key 
um, series, these keys open doors that sort of change you or empower you or give you superpowers or, or make you invisible or make you kind of like where you're dead and you can see things or, uh, or turn you into something or give you superpowers. That's what these keys do. And so there's a dog here in the cover and the young boy is acting completely like a dog. And when you realize, of course, that he's a dog and and then, they, then there's this sort of like awakening the young other two boys, which like to kind of make fun of the dog boy. That they kind of realize that a dog's life is not sad, which they think it is at first. Like, oh, he only does this or that and sits there or sleeps all day. And then they realize, like, no, it's like a simplistic, amazing life that this dog has. And so they decide to kind of make that journey themselves. So that's just fantastic. There's this also like a like a sort of like a, another little mini story, sort of story into the lock and key. Uh, a bigger story that's in the back of this with the, the Locke family and showing how the mansion sort of arrived. So it's uh, just a hint into that there's going to be more Lock and Key. This is something that I do believe is in development. They're trying to make a show out of this or a movie series out of this. So Lock and Key, one of my favorites of all time. Check it out. It's a one shot. You can just read this by itself. Lock and Key Dog Days. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. I love it. And coming up next is uh, we're out of the 11 November 6th, so now we're into November 13th. That's right. This is the uh, last couple of weeks to get all done here. <clears throat> and the first one is Dollhouse Family Issue Number 1. And this is uh, actually written by Joe Hill. So Joe Hill just did this Lock and Key series, and he is also doing this, uh, the Dollhouse Family Issue Number 1. And this is art by, because usually Gabriel Rodriguez is his guy, but this is art by Peter Gross. And I guess M.R. Carey sort of co-wrote this because it's like created by Joe Hill. It's in the Black Label series of DC. So it's definitely going to be uh, dark and gruesome. This also has a very reminiscent feeling of Lock and Key, of this one issue of Lock and Key that was standalone about this dollhouse where people um, are like come to life inside the dollhouse and people that are observing the dollhouse actually go into the dollhouse. That's kind of what happens here. <laughs> that's the uh, quick gist but there's also this other side story of maybe where the dollhouse sort of was found or came from with this kind of explorer guy that goes into a cave and doesn't come out but there's a young girl here who's like living with her parents that are so abusive to each other and the father physically abuses the mother abuses the mother hits her and he has and the little young girl has to see this and this little dollhouse that was like um given to her as part of like a great grandmother's will or something like from the 1800s um she just sort of like that's her escape to get away from her parents that are abusing themselves and they're just being miserable and it's like her little escape and then she realizes that there are little people inside this creepy dollhouse that come to life and they're like come on in we can even get rid of your father for you Ugh, that's the dollhouse <laughs> but get issue number one it's creepy joe hill Fantastic stuff. If you like Lock and Key, it has this absolute feel to it. And uh, I'm digging the other one, too. A basket full of heads. So, yeah. Joe Hill. Um, that's, again, this imprint. This new imprint that he's doing, uh, which is uh, called Hill House. So, creepy stuff. But really good. Okay, next up uh, is uh, Family Tree, issue number one. This is some gorgeous art in this. This is written by Jeff Lemire, so you got to get it for Jeff Lemire. This is uh, drawn by uh, Phil Hester. So fantastic artist, Family Tree. And uh, this definitely has a feel like Jeff Lemire's kind of stories where it's like about a kid that is very different uh, and very unique and very odd. 
this kid ends up uh, having like a family tree as a play on words, whereas the kid is growing like she's turning into Groot, <laughs> kind of is what's happening here. But um, it's, it looks like it's like a single mom kind of situation in this very interesting little town, this little nosy little town. And so <clears throat> it's like kind of the apocalypse has started, maybe. Uh, whereas uh, that's uh, this virus is affecting people and how they're looking tree-like is what I'm guessing from this thus far. So great premise. And uh, the kid's turning into Groot. What's going to happen? Will she eventually just say, I am Groot, and that's it? But... Yeah, is it a virus? Is it an outbreak? Is it uh, the end of the world? Um, it looks like uh, around their town that everything is, is just growing in a very violent way. Um, uh, everything everything green is taking over. So that might be what part of this apocalypse is. So very cool. Uh, Got to look into that family tree. I love that their granddad gets into this eventually. So it's a family affair. A single mom and young girl that's turning into Groot. So very cool premise. Jeff Lemire takes his time. So there's just a lot of setup. The weird town... The nosy people, the single mom working in a grocery store. <clears throat> it's a lot of that kind of setup, but I, I love it. This is Jeff Lemire, guys. Get in there. Do it. It's JL. Um, <laughs> all right, next up uh, is uh, Folklords issue number one. So we got three more left in uh, November 13th. Folklords issue number one is from Matt Kent. So I love Matt Kent as a writer. Uh, artist Matt Smith. And Folklords is from Boom Studios. And... I dug this from the very beginning. This is like this this young man that lives in like a... I think he's called Ansel. Like Ansel and... An, like Ansel? Gretel? No. He's just named Ansel. That's Hansel. Sorry. And uh, he lives in like this fairy tale land. Um, and he's like seen a glimpse of modern day America maybe. Because he's wearing a suit. Like he saw a glimpse of it. But when he goes into town with like a suit on, all of the like uh, Beauty and the Beast family... I almost hear the song in my head when he walks a little town. It's a private village. Like he runs into this town, and they all look at him weird because he's wearing a suit. <laughs> but he's seen a glimpse of something. He even like has a buddy that's a troll that helps him cross the river. And they're given a all the young kids at a certain age, as like a bar mitzvah gift or something, are given a quest. So they all get to go on a quest. But this year, like the ruling uh, quest uh, government is like normally you get to pick your own quest, but no, we're gonna give you your own quest. And it has this kind of never-ending story feel to this. That's why I love it. And has this, are we, are we break, is the fourth wall being broken in this possibly? But I love the design of the, of the government uh, figures. They wear red hoods and they have like bandages all over their face. They kind of look like uh, Hush from Batman. And uh, I like that. Or the, uh, the villain in Manor Black, which I talked about about an hour and 14 minutes ago. So I'm all in for this. Folklords. Does the kid see a glimpse in the world? Why is he wearing a suit in the, in this fantasy Beauty and the Beast uh, t- French town? That he lives in in this fantasy world with trolls and and monsters and so on. So very cool, never-ending story-like feel. Folklords issue number one. Next up is uh, Midnight Vista issue number three. Midnight Vista issue number three, and uh, this is a UFO story. I'm really digging this. Uh, this is from Aftershock Comics. It's written by Elliot Rahal and uh, art by new- newcomer Clara Meath. I love her art. Uh, she's a big reason. Why this is a top pick for me, and this is the story about this uh, this young man that was uh, abducted uh, abducted by aliens with like his um, mom's boyfriend at the time, uh, and uh, it was at a time where the mom was like uh, just divorced not too long ago, and the the her the dad the, her ex husband is just not making things easy, and they're struggling to pay the bills, 
and you know the mom's got a new boyfriend and then then they're just abducted the young son and the the man are abducted and then he returns and the the sequence that uh he's uh, shows being abducted is very like a fire in the sky look at that uh, movie and look at that sequence where they go up and they're abducted by aliens it's haunting it's uh, one i still think about fire in the sky go look at that abduction sequence and it reminds me of that here in uh in Midnight Vista. But the cool element is this is that he's he he it's like 10 years later so he's uh, you know he's like a uh, 18 or something now and he's reunited with his mom and his mom has never given up hope. His mom has has always uh looked for him, hunted for him, just new newspaper clipping. She's been obsessed. She just never gave up in her son, never moved on in her life. Uh, kept his room the way it was and now this uh these two alien beings that look like uh like uh, Men in Black, uh, they remind me of the that character that turns into a bug in Men in Black. It's just this wearing like a skin suit. These two aliens are after them. And it's just that uh, the police don't believe them, so the police are trying to arrest them. It's the police and these two alien creatures uh, chasing after them. Why do they want to get the mom and son? It's maybe because they would expose them, possibly. But we don't know that yet. It's This is just action-packed. It's like non-stop. It's just great paced. And it's just non-stop action about running from the police and running from two skin-suiting alien abductors. So get it. Midnight Vista, issue number three. Get them all. It's really, really well done. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, next up is another new number one, the final for November 13th. It's Morbius, issue number one from Marvel Comics. I'm glad to see Morbius is back. It's like The Mask and Morbius. Two oldies, but goodies. Uh, Morbius, The Living Vampire by Vida Ayala. And uh, that's written by and art by Marcelo Ferreria. Ferreira. Digging this look. The art style is kind of 90s throwback, but colored professionally, Marvel-like, chiseled, colored, and lines. But it has this 90s-like feel to it. We get this introduction to a, a character that's in a warehouse doing bad stuff that shoots fire. I, I, I don't remember his name. Firefly, Firebug, Fire something. Anyway, he's... Uh, He's like enslaving people and doing this horrible stuff and Morbius comes to the rescue. And the first sequence they show a close-up on just Morbius's face because they show him in the shadows. I love the design, the look, the Dracula coming out of the shadows. But when they show a close-up of Morbius's face like filled with blood from, uh, from his prey dripping down his face, it's wonderful. He's got that no-nose uh, Voldemort kind of thing happening. It's just wonderful. The way the panels are sliced in this, very vampire-like. It's just, I'm just primed. A Dark Red is another vampire series, and this, Morbius, that I'm absolutely loving. I, I just can't get enough of it. The way that this two-page splash lays out Morbius flying from the ceiling down upon his prey with blood sort of splattered on him is wonderful. I need a poster of it. It's fantastic. So that, I, I honestly was, uh, first went, uh, when I first saw Morbius, I was excited, but also like, oh man, I hope they, they get the art right. They got the art right. So go check out Morbius. It's fun. It's perfect. It's it's another thing to keep Halloween going, I guess. But uh, he's still trying to find a cure. He's still playing with uh, a lot of strange chemicals that are changing him. That's kind of what looks like happens here. He's in trying to heal himself. He's changing himself, and something happens. Um, so, yeah, Michael Morbius. What's going to happen? I want to see what's next. They introduced this character. It looks like a Van Helsing sort of woman. Why does she want to stop him? We don't know yet. What's her motivation? We're going to find out. Morbius, the living vampire, issue number one. Get it. It's a fantastic time for some 
keeping the Halloween going, like I said. All right, the final week. Here we go. This is up to date. This is November 20th. So November 20th, I had four. No, I had three uh, top picks. So this is the final three. Here we go. The first one is Farmhand, issue number 11. And Farmhand is written by Mr. Uh, Rob Gilroy. He also does the art. He was also the artist on Chew with, um, with Rob Lehman or John Lehman. So this is created, written, and drawn by Rob Gilroy. So it's his baby. And this is this fantastic world of, a, of Obadiah, this old farm hand guy that, uh, that creates a, a way to, to grow body parts uh, from trees. He has this magical seed, this voodoo seed. We're not sure. The seed, like the, the elements of things that he grows, appendages for people, he can control them as well. But it's all about this town and the people that are here that have been affected over the years by Obadiah and his strange experiments. There's been a lot of people that are now infected that have body parts replaced, noses, ears, arms, shoulders, uh, organs that are now having this strange side effect. They're like becoming together in this hive. And that's what's happening here. Um Obadiah Stain is kind of on the run. Uh, you know, the, the townsfolk want him. The police probably want him at this point. He's kind of in hiding. And our, uh, his, Obadiah's son, who I forgot his name, who actually looks a lot like Rob Gilroy. I met him once or twice. And, and uh, he decides to uh, um, go after and work for his dad. Like, try to help him. They've had a falling out. But this is kind of like him reconciling and saying, look, look I'm going to try to help my dad. You know, even though we have all these differences, I'm going to do my best to help them. That's, that's definitely the core of the farmhand story. And then we get a history of this town, the history of uh, Freetown, um, going back to the, you know, the day, the slavery days and the explanation of how this town started, uh, told by this voodoo woman that Obadiah decides to go to, a hoodoo. And she is also has uh, something replaced, uh, an organ of sorts. So she has this hoodoo vision, but now it's kind of enhanced by the appendage that uh, has been you know grown by the magic seed from Obadiah Stain and so uh, he gives her a vision of what he of what she thinks is going to happen to this town and what's coming together with this hive-like uh, situation and this this mayor this woman that is like seems to be the 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 queen bee so that's all that is farmhand I'm so glad it's back there was a little break but now issue 11 is here uh, you can buy merch too. It's great that they're selling farmhand merch. There's a bonus, a free town funnies issue at the little mini page at the end. I love, I'm a sucker for bonus pages and you get one at the end of that. So check out farmhand issue number 11. It's fantastic. It's been a number one pick a bunch of times. It's been an art winner a bunch of times. You get bonus stuff. Go get it. Farmhand issue number 11. And uh, the last two, Olympia issue number one is next up here. It's a brand new number one. Our last uh, new number one, I believe. And uh, this is uh, from Image Comics, written by Kurt Pyers and art by Tony Pyers. Brothers? Cousins? Good friends? You know, husbands? I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, this is an homage. This is a love letter uh, to, um, it looks like, his Kurt's dad. And uh, there's a, there's a, a picture of what looks like him and his dad. Uh, I like that, th that his dad doesn't show maybe that he passed away that it shows like an infinity symbol so maybe he didn't maybe it's just a love letter to the dad you know or whomever it's a nice little uh in that also it's a jack kirby homage it's so very jack kirby it's very much the story of like odin uh versus loki in a way 
But um, there's a character called Olympian. This also breaks the fourth wall. It's a young kid reading a comic book. And the comic book sort of comes to life. The Olympian lands on Earth. It's like, how is that possible? How does the comic book come alive? He's reading a comic and then boom, like a, like a Halley's Comet crashes to the Earth and it's the Olympian himself. And he's in this never-ending battle with the Loki-like character. But I love the design of like this uh, dragon medal that he's wearing around his chest. Cool design for the Olympian. And it's just, if you love comics, you love stories like this, where they break the fourth wall, the young kid loves uh, comics, and then, you know, Olympian is in a comic, even at one point, I love this funny sequence where the Olympian is crash-landed on Earth, and so he's hurt, and he takes Vicodin, and, or something, like a painkiller, gives it to him, and he hails the almighty Vicodin that he's going to fill his, his when he returns to Valhalla, he'll fill all chambers with the magical Vi- Vicodin. <laughs> you know, it's just like this funny moment of him being kind of like Thor, etc. And he's just kind of helping, this young kid's kind of helping the Olympian come to life. His, his comic book hero that's crash-landed on Earth, and he even shows him a comic. He has to go to a comic book shop and show him kind of what happens in the story. And he's like, wow, that's great. And then these like sort of zombie characters kind of punch through this, this hole as well, through the Earth. And so you know, the Olympian has to battle them. So it's just this great sequence of him fighting these, like, zombie creatures. So it's a love letter to old comics. It's a love letter to the Golden Age. It's a love letter to to uh, Jack Kirby. And it looks like it's a love letter from the creator to his dad. So I just, I just my heart uh, wept and smiled and had a great time with Olympia, issue number one. Get it from Image Comics. Such a great time. So here we go. This is the final, the 34th and final comic that I'm recommending to you. Here it is. Uh, you got to get some or all of these. Trust me, they're so good. But it's a it's a repeat offender. It's Outer Darkness, issue number 12 from Image Comics, written by John Lehman and Afu Chan. And this is that Star Trek meets uh, rated R version of Harry Potter. This is the, uh, the, the main Captain Kirk-like character is uh, starting a mutiny. Now, at this point, he's hired this other kind of iguana-looking alien race to help him steal the ship that he was actually working on because it's ultimately kind of a revenge thing because his boss, uh, they loved the same woman. And the Captain Kirk-like character didn't get that woman. Uh, his boss did. And so this is ultimately kind of what it ends up being about. And they think that that woman is dead, but he's going to try and get her. That's what this new sort of arc is, this new direction that the story is going in, and I love it. Um, our main sort of uh, dastardly scruffy looking uh you know captain kirk like character here has a great sidekick and this you know behemoth behemoth of a man with giant arms that can do uh like voodoo spells because that's the kind of world we're living in here it's science fiction uh mixed with magic and i love it i love it so much but uh you know mutiny is on the bounty here (laughs) and uh there is a character that um is in this that's also seeking revenge against the captain kirk like character and uh, he's very clearly uh, hates him, and so he's on the prowl as well, so I love it. There's a love triangle involved, there's a going to another galaxy to find someone that he believes is dead, there's a revenge plot twisted in here, there's a weird, um, like a Sister Magdalena that's kind of has been immaculately concepted that's on the ship as well, and it's run by a, a demon engine that has to be fed souls, so it's just all kinds of crazy aliens on this Star Trek-like ship, with uh, Captain Rig Riggs as a ship captain that's mutinous <clears throat> and a scoundrel, and I love it. That is uh, Outer Darkness, issue number 12. That's the 34th and final comic that I'm recommending to you. Get them all! I'm telling you, that's 
<laughs> that's uh that's there you go that's all the uh man take a take a deep breath and a swig of of something here i'm sorry for the coughing and snortling and <laughs> all that's going on here but those are my new comic book recommendations for the last nine new comic days from september 25th to november 20th let me lock the comic book vault door so please go to a local comic book shop help them out and buy some of the comics i just recommended to you there's 34 of them buy some of them please if you have questions comments or you want a personal comic book recommendation email me chris at sunspotscomics.com or my website, sunspotscomics.com, or on all the social media at sunspotscomics. And also, I want to thank our sponsor, Pop-Up Tea. Check out their gigantical selection of nerdy, fun t-shirts at popuptea.com. They have a nerdy shirt for everything you can possibly think of. Use the promotional code sunspotscomics and you'll get 25% off of any shirt order, even the clearance shirts. So thank you, popuptea.com. Go check them out. And please tune in next time for issue... 215 of the Sunspots Comics Podcast where I have only 9 new comic books on my pull list for new comic book day November 27th and 2 of them are new number 1's which I'm definitely excited to read here's just a few that I'm seriously looking forward to next week for new comic book day November 27th Ascender number 7 yes uh, Basket Full of Heads that's Joe Hill's imprint uh, number 2 uh, a new Crow series Crow Hark the Herald issue number 1 so I'm definitely checking out that and Philadelphia. I definitely like the premise of that. Um, I'm definitely going to check that out. And another one that's finally back that took a little break too is Shazam. Shazam! Issue number eight is back finally. So that's just a few stuff that I'm going to be discussing on the next issue of the Sunspots Comics Podcast. And please spread the word. Tell someone that you love about the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Please give us a five-star review with a few positive words on iTunes. And if you really, really want to help the Sunspots Comics Podcast, Please donate to us at sunspotscomics.com slash support. Any amount is seriously appreciated. And seriously, thank you. Again, that's sunspotscomics.com slash support. Help us out. So that'll do it. Thank you so much for listening to, to, to 34 Recommendations, a new record. I hope that you just captured some of my love, some of my excitement, some of my joy for just a few of these comic books that bring so much joy to my life. And they're all top-notch. All these brand-new comic book recommendations. Get them. Trust me, they'll enhance. They'll, they'll make your life that much better. And I leave you with the immortal words of Stan Lee. Hang loose, heroes. To be continued. Bye-bye. shouldn't have my boy here pull your head off. How about a magic trick? I'm gonna make this pencil disappear.
Ah, it's... It's gone. Oh, and by the way, the suit, it wasn't cheap. You ought to know, you bought it. Sit. I want to hear proposition. Let's wind the clocks back a year. These cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? Did your, your balls drop off? Hmm? You see, a guy like me... Freak. A guy like me... Look, listen. I know why you choose to have your little <clears throat> group therapy sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham your true colors, unfortunately. Dent, he's just the beginning. And, and as for uh, the television's so-called plan, Batman has no jurisdiction. He'll find him and make him squeal. I know the squealers when I see them. And... What do you propose? It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. <laughs> if it's so simple, why haven't you done it already? If you're good at something, never do it for free. How much you want? Uh, half. <laughs> you're crazy. If we don't deal with this now, soon, little uh, Gamble here won't be able to get a nickel for his grandma. Enough from the clown! Da, 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 da. Let's not blow this out of proportion. You think you could steal from us and just walk away? Yeah. I'm putting the word out. 500 grand for this clown dead. A million alive, so I can teach him some manners first. All right, so listen, why don't you give me a call when you want to start taking things a little more seriously. Here's my card. <laughs>